The Dad Presents, Episode 31, Larry Lessig. It all starts right now. Presents episode number 31. This is B. Hello, everybody. Uh, we're back. We got Jay Maddie here. Yo. And the return of dog. Hey, what's poppin'? Everybody's back. You know, you can tell when the weather starts changing, people start taking vacations, and the dog was out of town, but Matt was Maddie was out of town before that. I'll be out of town next month. I gotta tell you guys about that. I gotta go to a wedding. Some poor bastard is throwing his life away. <laughs> but jumping off the cliff. Jumping off the cliff. <laughs> So I'll be there to save him if he needs it. I got mm. a, I got a car and a full full tank of gas. Mm. How's everybody doing? All good. Man, everything's great. What's happening? Tell me something. Tell me something exciting and new. How about tell me who's coming on the show in <gasps> ten minutes? Very important. Larry Lessig, a champion of HR One, which Jay Maddie was nice enough to alert us to in shows past to tell us about campaign financing and running campaigns and such. This guy supposedly is an expert on all this stuff, Maddie. Sits down with a one-on-one. You got to hear it. So that's coming go. up shortly. Thank you, B. Ah, Good job. We we look. We take care of each other's back. We look at each other's back. We got each other's backs. We stay away from each other's fronts, though. <laughs> Nobody touches anybody's fronts around here ever. Okay, I've said enough. Anyway, um, let's see. Uh, got Larry Lessig coming. We got Doggy back. Um, Doggy's back. Missed you, Doggy. Yeah, I missed you. I feel like I haven't seen you in a month. No shit, right? Yeah. Yeah, There's also we took off a week though. Yeah, we did. At least one. We've we've been here and there. We've you know we got life. People don't expect too much from us. But anyway, before we get to Mister Lessig, you want to just jump into parenting questions? I do. Is that the plan? I do. All right. Let's go ahead and go to Maddie. All right. Hit it. So uh, you know, I, I pull these questions from listeners, and I typically try to pull the most interesting ones. I thought since we had Mister. Uh, Lessig on today, I would try to pull something relevant to that. So I searched through my questions and I found one from John and PA. I got a brother named John and PA. It is not him, or at least I don't think it's him. What's up, Johnny? What's up, John? It says, uh, he says, I worry about what the future looks like for my kids. I want them to understand the world of politics and corruption and know the right way to vote. I don't like what my son's being taught in school and I'm considering homeschooling. I want to know your guys' thoughts on homeschooling and advice about how you give your politics to your kid. Huh. Okay. Well, homeschooling, you know, to each his own, Johnny. And Can I call you Johnny? I love my Johnny. I like, I just always, I always wanted a friend named Johnny. Hey, Johnny. I just always wanted to say that. So, Johnny, listen. Um, to each his own. If you don't like the, the way, the methods, the know-how of the teachers and the schools that your kids are going to, do what you have to do, because ultimately you're the one responsible for the, this kid's life. But when you homeschool, that is a huge responsibility. You can't half-ass homeschooling, okay, because it will bite you in the ass later. That's so for sure. Yeah. So you got to make that decision. If it's a valid <laughs> one, go with it. If you're a homeschooler, go with that. Um, in terms of politics, my daughter's nine. I give her basically the politics one-on-one version. There's a Congress. There's a Senate. There's an executive branch, legislative, so on and so forth. And that's about it. I don't. I, I want to see how or what kind of person she's going to become on her own. That's the way, right way to do it. Yeah, 
if she has questions, I, to the best of my ability, try to answer them, giving both sides, saying, for instance, that, you know, if there's an issue, this the reason these two sides are fighting, this person thinks this, this person thinks that, we don't know which side is right. Sometimes there's instances where I say, this is probably, this is what I believe, and I, you know, I, I, I challenge her sometimes. So, I think too much, too fast is useless. I don't think you need to give your child, you know, basically in-depth political tact and skills and know-how right away because they're kids. I mean, they have plenty of time to be miserable later in life like the rest of us. Let them be kids before you start putting your views or forcing your views on them. Let them figure out who they are first and then go from there. Doggy? But you had such a long spill, I forgot the other second half of the question. Yeah, he's always long. But the, but the <laughs> thing is, like, with politics, like, if I had a child, yeah. you know, a young child coming up, I'd just let them watch CNN. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, watch the news every day and figure it out for yourself. Because I, I don't want to instill in my head, in my child's head. Mm-hmm. That's just like a religion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if I'm a um, Jewish guy like Sammy Davis Jr., right? Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not going to just force that on my child. Yeah, you know, let Absolutely. my child decide what they want to do. And then what I would also do is recommend like watching the elections and watching the candidates speak, and you know, like learning about the House and learning about the Senate. Yeah, and then just go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and let your child just if they want to be a Republican, let them be a Republican. Yeah, you got you guys are right. Uh, I don't want to add much, but I, I just want to give Johnny a little bit of a lecture. Oh wow, Johnny, y- th- your kids are not you. You can't you can't force your beliefs on your children. Not with religion, not with politics, not with anything. They're not you. That's that's a, a problem with a lot of parents. They want to make them their kids themselves. Sure, um, you can't do that with your hopes and dreams that you failed at. You put them on your kids. I know some. I know some people I grew up with who their parents did that to them, and they grew up very messed up because mm. the expectations of their father were put upon them. Can't yeah. do that, dog. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, look, let them. Do, when when yeah. my kids ask yeah. about politically related things, and they do, mm-hmm. um, I just give them the facts. I keep all my opinions out of it, and I ask them how they feel. That's that's how you got to do it. You got to. Plus, if you try to force your your opinions on them. Kids rebel, so it's usually going to backfire. On the homeschooling, I agree with B. Uh, if you don't like what they're being taught, by all means, homeschool them. But yeah, it, it's, a, it's a lot of work. And the one thing I would caution against, the one thing they probably will not get in homeschooling is developing good social skills. Sure. And uh, school is equally important for that reason as the actual education. So if you're going to homeschool them, try to get a couple of the neighborhood kids together and, and, and school them all. Right on. Hope that helps, Johnny. Yeah. Home, and homeschooling cha- is just hard. I just changed Johnny's name. He's yeah. Johnny now. All right, Johnny. Johnny. That's all for Johnny. Love you, Johnny. My, my brother, John, in Pennsylvania, we call him Johnny Boom Boom. Ooh. Yeah. Damn. All right, so question number two comes from Jan in Oregon. Jan. What's this, happening, Jan? This one also relates uh, hey, to politics. Uh, it's something I'll be talking to Lester about. Mm-hmm. Or I'm sorry, to Larry yeah, about no. his, his book is Lesterland. Lester, okay. Yeah. We'll excuse it. Um, he's, she says, my husband lost his job to a robot. Wow. I'm a big fan of UBI, which is universal basic income mm-hmm. for, for the dummies in the room. No, thank you. Thank Appreciate you. it. I, and, uh, <laughs> I thought it was an STD. I didn't know what that shit was. <laughs> I thought it had a bad Mensa. case of UBI. But I'm, anyway. I'm a big fan of it, especially for my children's future. Yeah. I wonder what kind of jobs are going to be available to them. Mm. What are your thoughts on UBI? Wow. Um, 
you know, the tech man, tech world is taking over. Uh, it's as we talked about on the show before. It's not as important to be a college graduate. These people, these tech jobs are, you know, it's more important. Seem it seems to me because my daughter has done it already. Is coding, learning how to code, and learn all that stuff. I would say get your kid involved in as many many uh, technological type functions as you can. If there's a, and it might be the nerdiest thing in the world, but you do it anyway because you're looking out for them in the long run because that's where all the jobs are headed. Yeah, that's yeah. completely, and it's it's gotten so much. It used to be Silicon Valley up north in San Francisco, and forgive me for the geographically challenge, but we are in Los Angeles, so that is north of us. But we have Silicon Beach here now, so eventually yep. it's going to be Silicon Desert. In Silicon, it's going to spread. It's going to continue to spread. There's no that's where all the jobs are now. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. Get your kid and search for them. I'm, there's there's coding camps. I'm sure there's all sorts of stuff. But you're not answering the question. What did she say? Did I miss typical. it? Okay. How yeah, do you feel about UBI? Oh, how do I feel about it? It's you know the thing is, and that's what is it? Universal, Universal basic, basic income. Basic income. Yeah. And give me a primer on that, because you've heard, well, I've talked and, about it before. And, but Andrew I, I Yang, it's his primary, uh, it's a, it pretty much his solo issue, and it's the idea that every single person in America mm-hmm. gets, his proposal is $1,000 a month mm-hmm. up front. Like, it would, it would replace food stamps, uh, welfare, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Everybody, regardless of your income, and you can elect to deny it if you don't need it, but everybody gets $1,000 a month. That will help alleviate some of the stress on the individual to meet their basic needs mm-hmm. so that they can focus a little more on, on pursuing a career that they might want or also just not be in panic mode all the time. As, and the reason for it is so many jobs are disappearing mm-hmm. with technology. Let me ask this question. Where's that money coming from? That $1,000? Well, taxes, obviously. <clears throat> so we'll get taxed for $1,000. Be a professional. Hit the cough button. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. All right. <laughs> we don't have a cough button. We have no cough button. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you brought in some shit that, you know, whatever. But, no, um, I think that's a good cause. I think, you know, to give people, you know, some people who need a hand, that sort of thing, I agree with that. The question always is where the money's coming from. And then, you know, as many Americans do, I sometimes vote with my wallet. So I, I want to know how much I'm giving to that thing. But I think that you, you know, $1,000 a month, if it makes sense. And I know we can find a, a way to support it because we spend shit money on other shit that probably doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, if someone, if everybody gets $1,000 a month, great. Um, I do like the capitalist uh, version of our country or the, the philosophy of it. But... Yeah, if a thousand dollars a month helps folks, and there's a way to do it, I, I'm, I'm I just it. did the I, math. I don't really mm-hmm. like it. I just did I the like math. It. Uh, it would cost three hundred billion dollars a year. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. like it That's to the simple fact that anybody can scam and get over. Like, hey, yeah. you know, I need a grand a month extra mm-hmm. for free. Um, do it the old fashioned way. Yeah, take your ass down if you need fucking uh, food stamps and shit and cheese. Mm-hmm. Take your ass down to the motherfucking office and get these people face. So much for keeping it PG before Larry came on. You know oh. what I'm saying? Yeah. So, <laughs> shit. We're talking politics. It gets passionate. Yeah. Right? You know, I don't agree with that shit, man. You know? Plus, just like you said, man, taxpayers are going to be getting lit up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, That's the concern. That was all, Where's the money coming from? Um, like I said, if it makes sense to do it without hurting somebody or, you know, that sort of thing, go for it. Too easy I for see, other people to get over. I see both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, number one, you're talking about the money. Um it costs money, like all these democratic ideas. It costs money. You want to have uh, free healthcare. You want to have free uh, mm-hmm. college. You want a thousand dollars a month. Those are all wonderful things, but none of them are free. 
Yeah. It's being paid for in tax dollars. Now, if you're going to say, okay, we're going to, we're not going to raise your taxes. What we're going to do is end all these crazy wars and there's the money for it. Yeah. Then I'm for it. But if you're just going to add on another 20% to what feels like is already a 90% taxes for me. Sure. I'm not down with that. Uh, yeah. But it, mm-hmm. we need something because the jobs are going bye-bye. Yeah. If there's a way to do it and we attack the waste that we're already putting out there every day, basically, then that's the way to do it. But I don't, that's the I don't problem with government. It. We I, never mm-hmm. attack the waste. We always we ask. Never, we never break anything <laughs> down yeah. because that's somebody's job. So you, we just keep adding. We just we add, we add, we add, we add, we add. And I used to be in favor of adding, but if you keep adding, you got to subtract, and we never do that. Sure. Never. Yeah. So Jan and Johnny, what, you just went with the J's in the show? Okay. Jan, Jan and Johnny. And Jay Maddie. Psh biased thanks for sending us your questions we appreciate it and i hope our advice helps um let's get into jay maddie's interview with mr lessig jay maddie intro it please all right dad heads right now we got larry lessig he's a professor of law at harvard he ran for president in 2016 he's host of a couple great podcasts and he hosted an amazing ted talk which will blow your mind i'll let him tell you all about it welcome lawrence and uh first of all thank you very much for putting up with our incompetence. Last week, we were supposed to do this, and uh, we confuse time zones because we're not as smart as you. It's complicated. No, I make that <laughs> mistake all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the reason I wanted to have you on, Larry, is um, I watched your TED Talk, blown away by it. For, for a long time, I've, uh, my biggest beef with government has been that it's, it's corrupt. They can't get anything done because of the money. Um, you point out how government is broken, because you can't win a national election unless you have donors who the top one, tw- 1% of the people in the country, which is like 144,000 people, which equals the number of Lester's in the country. Unless you appeal to those people and get their money, you have no shot at winning. Yeah. Now, the, the race that I'm most focused on is not actually the presidential race. It's actually Congress. And the right. problem with our government is Congress. You know, we can imagine electing a really great president. We've done that, not so recently, but we've done it. Hmm. Um, but, uh, but, but the real problem is if you've got a Congress that's spending 30 to 70% of its time sucking up to these incredibly wet, rich people who turn out to be just the same number of people as are named Lester in the United States, then you've got a Congress who's so focused on making those rich people happy that it can't do anything that ordinary people really care about. And that is the core, I think, of the corruption that has made it impossible for our government to function. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and, and you talk about the Lesters, and that's like 144,000 people, but you can go even further, and, and you did, and it's something like, wrote it down, 0.000042% of the population, which is 132 Americans, contribute 60% of the money. So they basically, all the politicians are supposed to be a government of the people for the people, but it's a government of about 132 people. Yeah, those are the people who are giving to super PACs. And super PACs have become the most dominant form of funding campaigns, both at the presidential level and the congressional level, especially in the Senate. And so, again, it's like they're humans, these politicians. And just think about it in your own life. If you're bending over backwards to make these funders happy so that they give your campaign the money your campaign needs, how are you ever going to be able to do anything that makes those funders unhappy? And indeed, this was Donald Trump's greatest line. You know, I remember in September of 2015 when he was debating the Republicans. 
And he said, you know, every one of you on stage, um, I own because I've given money to all of you people. And I know how you behave because right. when you get money, then you are so keen to keep me happy. And he, and he, you know, when he's talking Jeb Bush, he said, how can Jeb Bush make the right decision for America when he knows that decision might hurt the interests of somebody who's just given him a million dollars to his super PAC? Yeah. So Trump was focused on this. I think that's why so many Trumpers were excited by the drain the swamp slogan, which of course, you know, he's done nothing to drain the swamp. The swamp no, is deeper. No. The monsters are more vicious than they've ever been. But it's it's a measure of America. You know, the fact is Americans, whether Republicans or Democrats, look at the system and think the system is corrupt and they want to do something to, do, to, to, to change that. Yeah. Yeah. Before we go further with that on Donald Trump, I, I think you're right. Like I was definitely not a Trump supporter, nor did I vote for him. But I held out a sliver of hope for the guy because of some of that rhetoric. I thought, well, here's a guy who's who's not going to be a slave to these uh, corporate pay daddies who might actually be able to get some stuff done. Hasn't yeah. worked out that way. But in theory, he could have been the guy had he chosen to. Could he not? Yeah, I mean, if you believe if what he said was true, <laughs> you know, for example, he said he was going to fund his own campaign. Yeah. If he had funded his own campaign, and you remember he said he hated super PACs, if he actually had avoided super PACs, um, then I think there would have been a reason to, to have some sliver, sliver of hope. And, I, you know, I too, I didn't vote for Trump. I certainly didn't support him. But when he won, I thought, okay, maybe he'll deliver. Maybe he'll actually do what he says he's going to do. Uh, and I think none of us could actually believe the guy was so pathological uh, with his inability to utter true statements that... You know, I think we all expected some of the things he was saying were not true, but to discover that basically everything he was saying was right. not true was a little bit too much uh, for the too much of a shock for the system. Right. Um, you brought up super PACs. So with Citizens United, all this kind of started with uh, corporations or people, which seems like the most bizarre statement I've ever heard. Was this problem as big before Citizens United? Like how, how much has that contributed to the problem? Well, so Citizens United said that corporations, like rich people, in 1976, the Supreme Court had said rich people could spend unlimited amounts of money independently of political campaigns. Citizens United in 2010 said not only rich people, but corporations and unions could spend unlimited amounts of money. Um, now, if that's all that had happened, you know, even though there were many chicken littles, and I was one of them, who said, you know, the sky is falling, corporations are going to spend billions of dollars and dominate our elections, corporations learned pretty quickly that there was a high cost to free speech. Um, for example, Target supported an anti-gay candidate for governor in Minnesota and then found their stores being picketed all across the country. So they very quickly looked, this is not cool. We don't want to be in the middle of these kind of political battles. Yeah, it's a bad um, look. And, and, so, and so actually the amount of corporate spending on the Citizens United has not been great. But what did happen after Citizens United is a lower court, this was the um, uh, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, decided in another case, it's called Speech Now. And what Speech Now said is that if you have a constitutional right to spend unlimited amounts of money, then you have a constitutional right to give unlimited amounts of money to independent political action committees. And that became the super PAC. Right. And the super PAC could hide the identity of its contributors, not yeah, directly. That's what makes it dangerous. They yeah. give them these names that sound like the opposite of what they actually do. Exactly. And so nobody knows really where the money's coming from, but there's an ungodly amount of money in these super PACs now. 
And the super PACs step in and they spend money. And of course, the public doesn't know where the money is coming from, but the candidates certainly know where the money is coming from. And they know which side of the money they've got to be on in order to avoid the wrath of those who have collected that money. So it is, it is the economics of a protection racket, and it has totally captured control of the institution of our government. And that is the most fundamental corruption that we face right now. For sure, for sure. And, um, you, you know, you're, you're a pretty liberal guy. I'm not a liberal, I'm not conservative, but what, what, what I believe and I, I think you believe, and you said campaign finance reform is really the only issue that matters. No matter if your biggest issue is, let's say, gun control or your biggest issue is the climate or taxes are too high, whatever it is, whether liberal or conservative, doesn't matter until we fix the system, right? So how? How do we go about that? <clears throat> well, I mean, let, let me first double down on your point. Um, you know, some people sometimes talk about campaign finance and they're like, this is just such a boring issue. Um, and as I said in that TED Talk, the point is not that this is the most important issue. It's just the first issue. Yes. Because if you look, the way, look at the way our government cannot function and you ask, why can't it function? It can't function because of the money. And if you were to change the money, then it could function. It could begin to make decisions that were sensible again. So we got to fix this if we were going to fix any of these other issues. So, you know, when people say, look, isn't climate change the most important issue or isn't health care for poor people the most important issue? I, I would say, yeah, you know, what? have at it. Whatever you think the most important issue is, that's fine. But you got to fix this if you're going to fix that. So be smart right. about how you're going to fix that. Now, actually, I am more optimistic today. I've been in this fight now for 12 years. I'm more optimistic today than yeah. I've ever been Why? about us being able to do something. And the reason for that is, you know, there was this effort that Nancy Pelosi led in the House of Representatives to pass a bill called H.R. 1. Yeah. H.R. 1 is the most ambitious um, reform proposal passed by the House in more than 50 years, since the Voting Rights Act of 1965. What H.R. 1 would do is it would change the way campaigns are funded. It would end partisan gerrymandering. It would have automatic vote registration. It had a promise to restore the Voting Rights Act. It, it imposed ethics reform so that congressmen could not do this revolving door out to being lobbyists. They would be worried about their constituents, not about the lobbyists they wanted to work for. It was incredibly ambitious. But the most important thing about H.R. 1 was that she made it first. And by making mm -hmm. it first, what she's saying is exactly what we're saying. Look, you got to fix democracy first. If we fix democracy... Then we can start talking about all the other things we need to do, but we need to fix democracy first. Now, I think what Pelosi did, presidential candidates are beginning to copy. I mean, I call it not HR1, but POTUS1. And so the question is, which candidates running for president are willing to make the commitment that the first thing they're going to do is to take up this democracy reform? Isn't, and, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, I feel like, isn't that hard for any of these candidates to make that their number one issue when their campaigns are being funded by the super PACs? Like, how do they, how do they do that? How do they take that money from the super PAC and say, my number one issue is campaign finance reform? Doesn't that well, you know, eliminate their ability to collect that money? Yeah, but again, I don't, I'm not sure of the effect of money, this kind of money on presidential candidates. I'm really sure of its effect on congressional candidates. I know that they can control Congress. And presidential candidates, 
you know, they rise or they fall based on all sorts of magic and in, in like the media and the moment and, and how attractive they seem to the public. Um, and so that reality is our hope. That's our real hope, because there have been candidates who have now taken this pledge. If you look at Trevor Noah's interview um, of Pete uh, Buttigieg, um, uh, Mayor Pete said when Trevor said, what's the first thing you're going to do? He said, I'm going to do day one democracy reform, like HR1. And then he went and talk about the uh, Electoral College. But, but the fact that he had said democracy reform, number one, was critical. Um, yeah, you that's encouraging. Uh, Andrew Yang, you know, who's been pushing mm-hmm. UBI, which I think is a really great idea. We did a d- democracy town hall with him in New Hampshire. And in the middle of the town hall, he said, OK, look, I've spent the last year going around the country telling people the first thing I'm going to get them is $1,000 a month in universal, uh, universal basic income. He said, I'm going to amend that. I'm going to start saying the first thing I'm going to do is fix democracy. And then I'm going to get you $1,000 a month. Um, and Marianne Williamson has said, said the same thing. Elizabeth Warren came close to saying the same thing um, uh, when she was talking to Chris Hayes. And I think this is the thing we should be rallying people to do, to get Absolutely. them to make a POTUS-1 commitment. Tell us what's in that POTUS-1. Like, what, what are the fundamental reforms that they're going to get passed immediately? And if we elect one of these people, as hard as this is to imagine, there's actually a shot at getting this reform passed because presidents typically get their number one issue enacted. Obama got Obamacare. If Trump had gotten the Mexicans to agree to pay for the wall, he would have gotten a wall. Um, So, you know, you got to set yourself up in a smart way. But I think a candidate could say, look, we all, all of us Americans, whether Republican or Democrat, agree this system is corrupted. So let's start by doing something we all agree on. And that means fixing this corrupted system. And then we'll get on to these other things that we happen to disagree about. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree more. Like, I, I would support any candidate who came out and made that their number one priority. I haven't heard anyone actually do that. Uh, I'll have to check out the interviews you're talking about. Um, but the, this HR1 um, and this campaign finance reform, what about the idea? I, I've been writing about for 20 years the idea of publicly funded elections. Like, when we talk about government um, of the people, for the people, what if we are getting, what if we're the only ones who can contribute? Like everybody gets vouchers and you give them to whichever candidate you believe in. And that's the only money they're allowed to use. They can't raise private funds. Is that an idea that could get traction? Is that at all in HR1 or is anyone bringing that to the table? Well, so Andrew Yang announced about uh, six months ago, a hundred dollar voucher. Kirsten Gillibrand yesterday, announced a $600 voucher. So everybody gets $600, $200 per election. So in some years, you'd only get $200 because the only election you've got is for House. But in presidential years, you'd get at least two, House and then President. And sometimes you'd have House, President, and Senate. So you could get up to $600 as a voucher to be used to fund campaigns. So she's copying exactly the idea you're talking about. Um, the, The Constitution makes it impossible for us to say this is the only money that can be used in presidential election or in elections. But what you could do, and this is what her bill does, is it says if you're going to accept vouchers, you've got to agree to take no other money. That's it, ah, just vouchers. Okay. And so they can say, I'm not going to take vouchers, I'm going to take money the old-fashioned way. But what we know is if the numbers are right, if the 
if the contribution is high enough that you could get from vouchers, then people are going to opt into the voucher system, which means they'll be raising money from all of us, not from the tiny fraction of Lester's who happen right. to have the money in this current system. Right. So, so what you're saying is it's constitutionally not possible to say you can't take private money. But if they, if they did these vouchers, they could make it so that you can't get the vouchers unless you agree upon that. So then it, becomes, then it comes upon the voting public on whether or not they want to trust a candidate who says no to public money. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, uh, and you know, that's a pretty important uh, persuasive effect. We forget that every president between Nixon and Obama was elected with presidential public funding. It's a different system, but it was public money. They had to give up all other private money in order to get that public money. Um, and uh, Obama backed out of that because he didn't think he could get enough money to beat uh, McCain. And that became the end of the president's public funding system. But the most important thing about that system was um, the, the way in which liberated presidents to be presidents. You know, when Ronald Reagan ran for re-election, and remember, Reagan benefited more from public funding than any other president because he ran three national campaigns on the public's time. In 1976, he ran to beat Gerald Ford in the primary and he lost. And then in 80 and 84, he ran a national campaign on public funding. But in 1984, when he ran for re-election, Reagan attended eight fundraisers. When Barack Obama ran for re-election, he attended 220 fundraisers. Wow. And you're like, how can you be president of the United States and go to 220 fundraisers? Now, this president has shown us, it turns out you don't have to do much work to be president. So maybe it's not as hard as it seems. But I think that the most important thing to worry about in the presidency is to avoid a president who is forced to spend all his time with the Lesters. Because if right. you spend all your time with these Lesters, that's the only thing you're going to think about, what they care about. Right. And instead of thinking about what America as a whole cares about. Right. Uh, one other thing I'd, I'd like to point out about Trump is, um, didn't he kind of show us that, yeah, yeah, publicly funded elections and campaign finance reform, seems like you can't get the candidate you want without that, or get, can't get the kind of change you want without that. But didn't he show us it might be possible for us to get a guy in there, in the Senate, in the presidency, without raising money, just somebody who has outreach on, on social media? Yeah, so I think that's possible with the presidency. And, um, you know, it's, it's certainly possible with some of the people running for Congress. So AOC or Michelle Bachman, those are people who can raise money just on the Internet. They're not going to need any real big money at all because there's so much affection for them uh, in the public and the Internet enables them to tap it. But these are the exceptions. You're not going to fund the campaigns of 430 members of Congress through just, you know, social media. It's just not right. possible. And so we can't... We can't imagine a simple solution exists here. We got to confront the fact we're going to have to pay for clean elections. You know, why, why, why is that surprising? You got to pay for the, you know, for good products all over the place. So you're going to pay for good. You're going to pay for good government. You're going to, it's going to cost something. It's going to cost the money of clean elections. Now it turns out not a lot of money. Um, you know, I had a voucher program, not as big as Kirsten Gillibrand's, but my voucher program would have cost about three, $3.5 billion a year. And you're like, well, that sounds like a lot of money until you recognize that the Cato Institute, which is this libertarian think tank, the Cato Institute estimates that corporate welfare in America, meaning money given to for-profit corporations, subsidies, and all sorts of things like that, amounts to $100 billion a hmm. year, $100 wow. billion a year. 
And you're like, if you could just liberate Congress from sucking up to these rich people and corporations, they could probably cut that welfare by at least three and a half percent, right? So we could pay for this immediately just by allowing them to be representatives of the people and not representatives of the funders. Yeah. Wow. That, I mean, that's startling. It, it, when you put it like that, it actually saves money. And one thing, um, one thing a lot of conservatives and, and blue collar workers, one thing I don't think they understand about the whole tax system is, is that the only people benefiting from it right now, it's not even the middle class or even the upper middle class. It's the Lesters. They're the only people benefiting from it. Like I did really well last year. Right. So by the thinking of some conservatives, I should be, you know, my taxes shouldn't have been that high. I got killed in taxes, right? Because I'm a small business owner. The only, the only people who aren't getting killed are the ones who own like Texaco, Exxon, yeah. Apple. Those are the ones getting the break. And that's not really good for any of us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because the funders are good at convincing the representatives that they need to do what they say. You know, when they passed that $1.6 trillion tax cut, which meant that went mainly to rich people and corporations. Um, there was a congressman from New York who stood on the floor of the House, and he said, you know, my donors have told me that if I don't pass this law, if I don't get this law passed, I should never call them again. Right. And you're like, holy shit, here you are explicitly acknowledging that the reason you're supporting this is so that you get funders yep. to fund your campaign. What could be the most absolute confession of corruption than that that he yeah. wasn't embarrassed to say that it was completely obvious to him and everybody on the floor they're all like that, that that's not like abnormal that. that one example that one example shows you everything that's wrong with the Absolutely. system he's not trying to do it because it's good for his state or good for his people he's trying to do it because he needs that money to get reelected. absolutely and, and, and like, what more do you need to say beyond that right um one one thing about the voucher system that, that i'd like to to bring up is um when, when I bring up this idea, one of the pushbacks I get is from people, um, from conservatives, they're say like, what about um, a candidate? If, if you're just speaking to the public, you go out and you offer something like free college and free healthcare and free this and free that. Well, yeah, that's going to appeal to most people, whether it's sustainable or affordable or not. So aren't we going to get ourselves into positions with publicly funded elections where we're where it's a little bit like high school and you have you're running for student council and you say, you know, longer lunches and stuff like that. People vote for you. You know, if we were Argentina under uh, Peron <laughs> or, you know, if we were a really poor developing nation, I might worry about that. But what's really striking about America is the deep conservatism inside of this country um, that resists these ideas, even though they're offered all the time. You know, I mean, obviously, like Bernie Sanders was promising all of that. And even in the Democratic Party, he couldn't get more votes than Hillary Clinton. Right. So uh, so I'm not worried that the American people are going to do stupid things. I think that the representatives need to start representing the American people. And then to the extent they're not uh, American people are not doing things which we think are sensible, then that's what democracy is about. Let's fight them on the ideas. Let's not fight them on the question of how much money do I have and how much money do you have? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so on back on HR1, I, I had a gentleman in here, Larry Sharp. He ran for governor of New York as a libertarian candidate. And I brought up, it was right about the time when HR1 first came up. I brought that idea up to him. Um, 
my views are, are pretty close to his as far as like freedoms and, and whatnot. And I like HR one. I think it, it's got to be our, our first step. And he said, and what he said made a little sense to me. He said, anytime you get one of these bills, they're typically something that should be down on three pieces of paper, but it ends up being 3000 pieces of paper because every Senator has to get their little thing in there to satisfy their uh, funders. So it's full of pork and garbage and it ends up making the situation worse than it was in the first place. He said the best thing to do to change campaign finance is, and it might sound a little bit ridiculous, but I'm not sure why he says make people running for office, wear their donors on their sleeve, like NASCAR drivers, whoever gives them money, they got to wear it and put it out there. And then it's up to the voters to decide if they want to vote for the guy getting $2 million from XYZ company. Why is that not a good idea? Well, I, I, I think it's funny. And this idea has been out there for a while. And there was actually an app that lets you pull up a picture of a congressperson and then it put a NASCAR shirt oh, no on kidding. them based on their okay. funders. Yeah. So this is an idea that's been out there for a while. I actually think it doesn't help the system just to have transparency. Because if you've got a system where you've got to raise the money, um, you've got to bend over backwards to get that money and everybody needs to raise the money. So, you know, the fact that somebody's getting money from Comcast and somebody else is getting money from Exxon doesn't change the fact that they're getting money from rich people and they're not getting money from everybody else. So they're focused on this tiny fraction and they're not focused on everybody else. And that is the core corruption. Now, I don't, wouldn't disagree with the characterization about how most bills are being written. This bill was an incredibly clean bill. If you actually read it, actually looked at it, um, you know, and part of the reason was nobody actually expected it to pass. So it was really a bunch of principles that were put together for the purpose of stating a clear idea. Um, and I'm no doubt that if it actually came to be passed, there'd be all sorts of junk in it. We should fight the junk. But you shouldn't give up the idea of reforming this corrupt system merely because the thing that will reform it isn't perfect. I right? can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, especially when the status quo is so awfully bad. So, you know, I, I, I think the status quoists, the people who say, you know, this is not something we can change are just wrong or they're either stupid or they think you're stupid, right? They're either, they don't get how the system's broken or they think they can fake you out and make you not recognize how the system is broken. And I think, you know, what's so encouraging to me is that when I started this work 12 years ago, I'm not saying it's because of me, I'm saying it's because of the culture, but when I started this work 12 years ago, it was really hard to get people to get it. They didn't really see the connection. And now there's literally no one except lobbyists who, who, who doesn't get it, right? They all right. recognize right. this corruption and we have to do something about it. Right. Well, I mean, the Senate now for at least a decade has an approval rating of 10%. So I think people get that it's corrupt. I, I think everybody gets that. It's just hard for them to put their finger on it. And that's why I've started directing people to your TED Talk because you do a, a really great job of putting it into ideas that everybody can understand and not just you know Harvard law professors. You really do a great job with it. Um, my, what I'm wondering is, it's, it's a nice bill, but if, it felt like lip service. Like I, I heard you say on another podcast that there's no way it's going to pass with Mitch McConnell and the Republicans. I don't think it, when you get right down to it, it would pass with Democrats either because most of them benefit from the same system. Well, this is the question. I, it's a fair question. And many people say that the Democrats all voted for it just because they knew it wouldn't pass. Um, but what's so important is that it's stated, it, it's a flag in the ground. 
and it creates a real um, uh, bar against which to measure every Democrat and every candidate running for president. Uh, now, I, I would I would have a different HR one, I, or my POTUS one would be different. I would have vouchers. HR one was mainly matching funds. I might have a different way to solve the gerrymandering problem. Um, I would be much more aggressive in ending this absolutely absurd practice of suppressing the votes of people who happen to be the wrong color or wrong political party. Um, I would like to deal with the electoral college. You don't deal with the electoral college. So, I, you know, the particulars we could argue about. But the idea that we have a clear commitment to fundamental reform of this corrupted system creates, uh, uh, you know, uh, an expectation. And if the Democrats were elected or any president were elected, you know, John Kasich took on this challenge and took on the president and beat the president and then were elected president of the United States and then did nothing about it, I think there'd be a revolution. I mean, I think there really would be like, if you really commit and make this fundamental and you say this is fundamental, the thing you're going to do first and you don't do it, then you're going to have a very short uh, life as president of the United States. Now, you know, Maybe. the problem is we haven't yet had anybody make that commitment. You know, Barack Obama. What about you? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> well, that's, uh, yeah. yeah um, you, you mentioned, um, you mentioned um, voter suppression, right? Um, so th- this, is, this is one area. Vo- suppressing the vote is a terrible thing, like removing polling stations and, and stuff like that. Terrible. Gerrymandering, awful. But the thing about voter IDs, I, I agree with that. Like we have a lot of people in this country who are here illegally. They should not be able to vote. Like if, if you don't have your life together enough to, to get, you know, your picture on a, a license or something, you know, what, what's wrong with voter ID? So it's the devil is in the details. So you look at what Texas did with voter ID. And, you know, there are a lot of people who don't have cars. They don't drive. They don't have driver's license. You know, they, they live in cities and, you know, God bless them. They take the buses or they, they ride bikes and they just don't drive. So they don't have a driver's license. And even driver's licenses in some of these schemes are not good enough if they're not real ID driver licenses. And those require an extraordinary burden to get. And most people, there's no reason to have them. Um, but number two, like in Texas, if you wanted to get, uh, you wanted to pass the voter ID test, and you went in with your um, University of Texas ID, which is a photo ID. It was no good. But if you went in with your local gun club registration card, which didn't even have a photo on it, that was fine. Okay. So, so the point is they are crafting this very carefully to pick out the kinds of people they want to be able to vote I and see. the kinds of people they don't want to be able to vote. And they're increasing the cost on the people they don't want to be able to vote so that it tilts in favor of the people they do want to vote. So even if you had the same burden, what we know, what the data shows is these voter ID burdens or any of these suppression burdens make it harder for Democrats to vote than for Republicans. That's the same burden for both sides, but one side can cover the burden really easily. Um, and, And so my point is, why do we allow them to screw around with the system for the sole purpose of rigging it against the other side? I mean, this is the most basic idea of a democracy. It's got to be an even, a level playing field. So we could solve the ID problem. We could have a government-issued ID, voting ID, like it could be completely trivial for everybody to have it. I'm okay with that. I, I don't want non-Americans to vote. Um, uh, but we don't do that. What they do is you allow them to screw around with it to make it so that the other side can't win. And guess what? Democrats okay. have more support, but Democrats don't win. 
So to be clear, you're not necessarily against voter IDs. You're against the way they're implementing it, which is, is not a fair way. Yeah, that, yeah. That's valid. I, I can understand that. That makes sense to me. Um, okay, shifting gears just a little bit. Um, I listened to your podcast. I don't, I don't remember the name. What's the name? Uh, Another Way. Yeah. And in the second season, you talk about a convention to amend the Constitution, which was a, a really interesting podcast. Um, how, I mean, it sounds like an impossible task to me. Like, how, how do you get something like that started? What's step one? Well, so the Constitution says there are two ways to amend it. Number one is to get two-thirds of Congress to propose an amendment, and then to get three-fourths of the states to adopt it. And the second way is to get two-thirds of the states to call for a convention, and then the convention drafts an amendment, and then that has to be ratified by three-fourths of the states. So the ratification is the same with both. The only difference is how you get an amendment on the table. And the reality is right now, the United States Congress is not going to propose any interesting amendment. You're just not going to get two-thirds of this Congress to deal with the problem of the corrupt influence of money in politics. I mean, you know, with Mitch McConnell, who should be referred to as the Dark Lord, um, <laughs> when the Dark Lord controls the Senate, you're not going to have one Republican voting for any proposal to change the corrupting influence of money in politics. And you're going to need at least 20 to make it possible to win, 24 right now to make it possible to win. Um, so, uh, so I think this means that we have to think about other ways to propose an amendment because we need amendments in our constitution. Our constitution is really deficient in defending the right of democracy. And, you know, we could talk about other things too, like term limits. Um, we could talk about whether there's a fiscal responsibility amendment that makes sense. I'm happy to have all of those conversations, but we at least need a constitution committed to making sure we have a democracy that represents the people. Um, and, and I think the only way to do that is to have an Article 5 convention, and that's why I support groups like Wolfpack that are pushing hard to try to get state legislatures to call for one. Okay, good. And another thing you mentioned is um, you mentioned a paired convention, and I, I didn't really understand what that was. Could you just enlighten me? Right. So in the world of partisan politics that we live in right now, if the left-wing uh, if there was a left-wing convention, people on the right would organize, mobilize to defeat it, either defeat the convention before it's called or defeat whatever proposal came out of it. And the same thing with a right-wing convention. I mean, indeed, I, I'm on you know Democratic lists right now. I get emails from uh, terrified people in the party about how this will be the end of the Constitution if the conservatives succeed in getting an Article 5 convention going. And of course, what they're doing is they're just using fear to raise money. This is like the best money-raising scheme possible because they've convinced, they've duped all these Democrats into believing it's the end of democracy if we had an Article 5 convention. So this is because it can be framed in a partisan way. And when I say there should be a paired convention, some that's going a convention to consider some liberal issues and some conservative issues. Going to give the liberals a chance to get equal representation as a fundamental principle on constitution to give the conservatives a chance to have, for example, smaller federal government, which is what the convention of the states movement wants, or a balanced budget, which is what many uh, conservative uh, states have been pushing for. Give us both a chance to make our proposals and see which ones go out to the states. Then neither side really can afford to rip the whole process to pieces. And so it's a fair opportunity for people to consider it without this partisan spin, which is really, of course, driven by the desire to raise money, which, right. of course, turns out to be the root evil in all of these contexts. Yeah. 
Yeah. So a couple things. Uh, so number one, a paired convention basically means it's not, it's bipartisan and that's the only kind that would have a chance to succeed. Yes. Um, but, but going back to finance and you're talking about how the, the, the two parties, at least the rhetoric, not, not necessarily the actions, but the rhetoric gets more and more extreme, right? More and more extreme left. And isn't that because of number one, gerrymandering? Um, they, they, they just have to appeal to their, the people in their district who, you know, they gerrymander a, a district to make it completely conservative or completely liberal. So they're only speaking to one half of the country. So they, take, they step the rhetoric up a notch. Isn't that part of the problem we're so divided? Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of things I think that are contributing to this more ideologically sordid or partisan America. Gerrymandering is one of them because, you know, representatives know the only people they need to fear are even more extreme versions of themselves. Yeah, that's so, what happened with the, the Tea Party uprising. And now that's what ha- is happening now with the uh, like social justice warrior types, right? Right. right. Yeah. So, so this is the way in which the extremes have enormous power in the system. But the other thing that uh, happens is that as more and more of us get turned off from politics, and so it gets harder and harder to bring out people to vote, the politicians know the only people they need to talk to, even in the districts that are swing districts, the only people they need to talk to are the base, the kind of core partisan extremes. So they become extremes just to get them out. So it's almost like this you know, nightmare of like, they have to be louder and more outrageous mm-hmm. in order to inspire people to come out and vote. Um, and that's so Trump's that's, whole strategy right that's, now. That's Trump right there. That's yeah. Exactly. Going, going back to Trump, were you finished? I'm sorry. I would just want to add one third thing to it, which is the media itself. There's this oh, amazing yeah. work by um, uh, Martin and Yugalok, um, which tracks the partisan content of CNN Fox News, and MSNBC. And what's amazing is until about 2001, you couldn't really tell the difference. But beginning in 2001, they, they just veer dramatically. So Fox is an extremely conservative network. MSNBC is extremely liberal. And uh, CNN is trying to hang in the middle someplace. And what that means is that people live in these different worlds. Bar- Barack Obama said, if you watch Fox News, you live on a different planet from people who read the New York Times. And so as you produce a public that is more and more partisan because they're exposed to these extremely fragmented partisan views, it pays as a politician to play to that. So the Mm -hmm. whole system drives us to this insanity that makes it impossible for us to do the basic things we need to do as a, as a Republic. Yeah. You're, you're preaching to the choir with that one. We talk about that on the show all the time. I mean, the news used to give you news. Now you have all these 24 hour news networks, where their their goal is profit, so they sensationalize everything. They don't talk about the wars. They don't because nobody cares anymore. It's it's twenty four seven Trump news on both sides, and it's yeah. it's unwatchable and, for me. And they, and they, you know, most of their content is talking heads. Yeah, what talking heads know is that they have to be really crazy to be interesting. So mm-hmm. if you had a kind of boring talking head who said, you know, on the one hand, on the other hand, they'd be like, no, no, no this is too, this is too. No. Uh, boring. What we need is some, you know, somebody who's lighting his hair on fire. And so the audience wants to focus on him, like, because that's going to drive the attention. That's going to drive the bottom dollar. So, you know, we, we turn over understanding about our democracy to people who sell ads for a living, right? Yep. Isn't it a surprise that we have people who don't understand democracy? Yeah, it's tragic, really. Um, going back to Trump, and this is just a, a hypothetical. 
I, I had a little bit of hope for him when he came in because of some of the rhetoric and because I, I actually thought maybe he is funding his own campaign. Um, but I see the guy as being a total, he's a narcissist. I think most presidents are, but he takes it next level. I think more than anything, this guy wants to be worshiped. I don't think he's a, a down the ticket Republican. He had, a, he actually had a lot of democratic ideas and I feel like Democrats may have served themselves better when he came in instead of resisting him so hard and going at him with the racism stuff and the sexism to maybe embrace the guy a little bit. I think they could have gotten him to work for them. Could that have been the strategy? You know, if Trump were actually strategic, I think that would have been a good strategy. But what happened is when Trump came in, his administration was filled by a whole bunch of right-wing crazies and they began to feed him what he had to do. And the things that they told him he had to do had no real relation to what he campaigned on. Remember, he promised universal health care better than Obamacare. Yeah. And then he got into office. He's like, oh, who knew this was so hard? And of course, what he's proposing is abolishing Obamacare. And, you know, when people talk about pre-existing conditions, even then we'd have no commitment to deal with pre-existing conditions. Um, same thing with, you know, uh, he came in. I thought one of the greatest things he said when he came in was the Iraq war. Yes. It was the greatest mistake. That's in what got me. Policy. Yeah. Yep. Like, absolutely. Thank God. Um, but then he comes in and, you know, he's all this saber rattling. I'm pretty sure we're going to see a war in, in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Um, we're involved in, you know, to save this presidency because, you know, you can't vote out a, a wartime president. Um, you know, so I, I don't think that he has actually any commitment to anything. You know, yeah. even the. No, he doesn't. He drained the swamp rhetoric. You know, there was this great interview where people were asking about it. And he's like, yeah, when I first said it, I, I thought it was kind of hokey. I didn't really thought, think it made a lot of sense. But the audience really loved it. So then I started embracing it. You realize this is just a guy figuring out how to get the loudest reaction in those crazy rallies. And that is his policy. Yeah. But then, uh, but that's then it, why I'm saying they, they maybe could have gotten him to work for them because I don't think he has any principles. I think he just wanted to be applauded and and loved for being the greatest you know well the problem is you know steve bannon who was inside of his campaign and um you know now is is you know it's astonishing steve bannon is in europe right now um running campaigns all across europe to elect nationalists fascist nazi type people to the european parliament on may 6th i think we're going to see a extraordinary change in europe because of steve bannon but steve bannon was running White House and Steve Bannon was a very committed populist conservative. So there was no deal to strike with Steve Bannon. But if if I had been Trump's um, chief of staff, I would have taken his rhetoric, drain the swamp, national health care. I would have said, look, walk out on day one and say, I'm going to sit down with Bernie Sanders and we're going to come up with a single payer health care plan that Bernie yep. Sanders likes and I'm going to pass it. And I'm going to sit down with John Sarkin, yep. and I'm going to get a public funding for election. So we end this corruption. We're going to do that tomorrow. The drain, the swamp is going to be drained. If he had done those two things, it would have been over. Democrats yeah. would have to roll over and say, fine, you know, Mr. President, uh, you're going to be Mr. President for the next eight years. But, yeah. you know, he didn't do that. Instead, he did what Steve Bannon wanted him to do. And what that was is to continue, you know, so this, this most terrifying line from Steve Bannon was in his last interview Uh, before he was fired in the Atlantic, where he said, you know, what we want is to get the Democrats to talk about race and identity politics every day between now and the election. And we're going to talk about the economy and we're going to kill them. Um, 
And then you realize, wow, it's just a strategy. Yeah. They just like drop this catnip of some race issue in front of the Democrats or some identity politics in front of the Democrats. And the Democrats can't resist it. No, like, they can't. And, and, and they're it's doing exactly. it again. They're doing it of again. Course. It's, of course, it's such, a, it's such a great play for them. And, and, so, and so this is why, you know, there's no chance for him in building a united America. This chance was always about how to continue to fragment us so that this kind of core right-wing crazy set would have an opportunity to leverage their power to become, you know, America. And, you know, that's the thing you have to be afraid about right now. To be fair, um, Democrats fall for it and they go hard on the identity politics and, and they don't seem to have learned from last time because that seems to be Joe Biden's entire platform. Um, but moving on from that, I, I want to ask you about uh, one controversial thing and then I, I want to circle back to something. I know you've got other things to do, so we'll let you go. With what's going on in Venezuela, I, I feel we've got to mind our own business. I don't even believe the things they're telling me on any of these news channels. That doesn't mean they're not true. I just don't believe it anymore. We've been lied to too many times. Um, but a lot of my liberal friends, um, and I, I don't know your position on this, but they're very, they, you know, they want to get rid of the guns, right? Um, I don't agree with that. I, I, I'm, I feel strong about gun rights as I do about free speech. Doesn't this speak, do you feel that this speaks to that issue? Like part of the problem there is they took away the guns from the citizens and the citizens can't fight back. Where do you, where do you stand on that issue? Well, look, I uh, support sensible gun reg- regulation. Um, and, but the reality is, even if you didn't have gun regulation, sensible gun regulation, there's no way that citizens resist uh, the army that the American government has built. I don't know about Venezuela. You know, maybe they'd be able to resist in Venezuela. But in the United States, we have the most powerful military force in the history of humanity. True. And the idea with a bunch of people that a bunch of people with handguns or shotguns or even AK-47s is going to be able to resist the United States government is crazy talk. It's not possible. So if you're going to justify guns, people having guns, it's got to be for some other reason than that. Like the framers really did imagine that if you made sure everybody in the States had guns, then the militia could gather together and march on Washington if Washington got out of control. And that made sense yeah. so because everybody was you know, carrying muskets. But you know, now that they have Stinger missiles and they have tanks and they have uh, you know, the kind of weapons of destruction which they've deployed all across the world, that, that plan doesn't work anymore. It makes no more sense. Right, well, so, no, in a full-scale attack on the American people, but it's at least a deterrent. Like they're not—they're not going to be able to slide in on the down low. They—they're going to have to come hard. Where, where right? have they ever? Where has that ever been true? I mean, you know, when those when those people up in the Washington State, like they built their little compound and they deployed their guns, and they're like, "Now we got our guns. Stay away." It was like, "Yeah, okay, we'll wait you out. We got more guns than you." I mean, I don't see how guns anywhere are creating a condition of, of limiting the government. In fact, exactly the opposite. Deploy the guns and the government is entitled to be even more oppressive. This was what, you know, the kind of nonviolent protesters, uh, uh, Gandhi and Ken, uh, King, recognized. Like the way to beat oppression is by being more peaceful than the oppressors. Because if you deploy violence they are entitled to rain violence down upon you and they have much more violence than you could ever muster. 
So again, the plan might have made sense in 1789 or 1791 when the Second Amendment was adopted. I, you know, we could argue about that. It makes no sense today. So if you want to justify guns, people having guns, you know, let's talk about the good reasons to have guns. Um, you know, uh, hunters, hunting is a very important part of our culture. And I, I completely agree. People need to have the freedom to engage in that kind of uh, uh, behavior. But in 65th Street, Ch Chicago, South Chicago, people aren't hunting deer. They're not hunting bear. They're hunting humans. And so when Chicago says we want to get rid of guns or we want to limit significantly the guns that people have in 65th Street, South Chicago, I think, you know, the framers of the Second Amendment has nothing to do with that. This is about making it so people can live lives safely. And so uh, I, I, you know, I don't know about Venezuela. I, I'm pretty confident about Chicago. Yeah, you, you make some good points. But I mean, we could go down a rabbit hole with this one for an hour. There's there's all kinds of arguments for the guns in places like Chicago and ideas that you're, you know, you're not going to get the guns out of the hands of the bad guys and so on and so forth. But other people can have that conversation. We don't need to have it. I okay. wanted to have you on about campaign finance reform. And I, I, I wanted to ask you, um, I joked earlier, but I kind of wasn't joking about the idea of a run. I mean, there's 20 candidates in there. This is an idea I think could really get traction. You said a couple candidates have brought it up. They certainly haven't put it in the forefront. Um, you have one guy who's running and his only issue is UBI. You have another guy running. His only issue is the, the uh, climate. This could be an issue someone or you could latch onto that I think would get traction. So why not consider it? Well, you know, one part of you is preaching to the choir. I, I'll, I'll tell you, I haven't told anybody, we haven't talked about this publicly. I mean, I, people have been pushing very hard. And, you know, what's really great about this year compared to four years ago is the Democrats have a very objective measure for whether you can be on the debate stage. And that's get 65,000 contributions and as long as they come from a right mix of the states, then you can be on the debate stage. So there have been people in my movement who have said, look, you need to do this because yeah. you need to be there and say, this is the issue. We have to do this. I commit to doing this first and we'll unite the nation around doing this. And I came this close. I can tell you just to pulling the trigger. Um, uh, and then people like uh, uh, Mayor Pete um, started singing the same song. We got to fix democracy first. Um, and so then I began to be like, you know, you can be convinced or not convinced by that. But the idea that somebody like me, like a professor, steps out and says, I'm going to do this because this is fundamental and I want to take it on, would immediately open people up to say, well, wait, Pete just said he's going to do it. And uh, Andrew Yang said he's going to do it. And Elizabeth Warren just said she's going to do it. So why do you need to be there if they're all saying they're going to do it? Now, um, you know, so that push the envelope a little bit. You could. You could push it. Uh, you could push it a little bit. Part, uh, so it, it was a hard decision. But in the end, you know, I, I think I think what weighs on me is um, you've got to separate people's perception of what you're doing as a matter of ego from a matter of principle. Sure. And if there was nobody talking about this issue and I went out and I said, look, this is the fundamental issue. You know, this is the fundamental issue. And that's why I'm out there fighting for it. People would have no question about why I'd be fighting for it. But I think part of the problem is if it gets clouded by like you just want to be you know on a national stage then it takes all of the power out of that message so you know i'm pushing we're really hard we're launching a campaign called the potus one campaign that will get every one of these candidates to make this commitment and we're going to do everything we can to make it central 
Um, and, and I'm hoping that's going to be enough, but it is not Look, I've committed. I'm going to do whatever the hell it takes to make this reform possible. And, um, and, uh, I can tell you from experience running for president is not a simple task. Um, first of all, you know, here's something people don't even think about. How do you afford to run? Um, if you're a billionaire or a Senator, uh, doesn't matter. Like you're a Senator Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or, uh, uh, Kamala Harris or Cory Booker, they run for president. Their checks still yeah, come from salary. the government. Yeah. They get their salary. If you're a billionaire, you don't need a salary. But if you're somebody like me, if I announce for president, my money stops from that moment. Right. And I'm not allowed to get any money from my campaign until a month before the primary. Yep. So I don't know about you, but That's I don't maybe have something else that should be addressed with campaign exactly. finance yeah. reform. Yeah. I don't have seven months worth of salary sitting in a bank account somewhere. I don't know if right. you do, but you no. know, so if you live, you know, like most of us do, uh, it's really hard to imagine doing something like that. But, you know, I've said, if it makes sense, I will do it. Um, and what I'm encouraged by is it sounds like we might be able to get people who, uh, uh are exciting a lot of people to make this commitment. And if they do, then, then that's it. That's all I care about. Let's Great. get the system reformed. Awesome. I- I'm glad we have you out there fighting that fight. So you mentioned, POTUS one is that what you called it? Yeah. So we're going to announce people this. Get prob- we're going to announce this in about two weeks. So at equalcitizens.us, equalcitizens.us, if you sign up, you'll know about it, and then you can join the campaign. It's really critically important that we get hundreds of thousands of uh, people to just call out to these candidates and say, "Make the commitment. Make this commitment," so that we know we're going to say by Labor Day of 2019, we're going to want every one of these candidates to take a position, and if they don't. We know who we're going after. We're going to know who we're going to defeat. Fantastic. All right, Dadheads, you heard it. Go there, get involved. This, this is, might not be the most important issue, but it's the first issue. Did I say that right? That's exactly right. Yeah. All right, so thanks for coming on. Thanks for Thank putting you. up with our incompetence on the time zone stuff. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was a real pleasure. Thank you. We'll be back with more on The Dad Presents after these words. Yo, B. What's happening? You notice how chill and sexy I'm looking right now? Uh, no comment on that. Well, you, you notice. Don't pretend you didn't notice. Mm, quite the opposite. <laughs> but what are you getting at? You want to know why I'm looking so chill and please, so sexy right now? Please stop talking and just tell me what, what you're It's me undies. I'm feeling good. I'm wearing me undies. I feel good. And when you feel good, you look good. Are we really talking about your underwear right We're now? We're talking about my underwear. I don't want to talk about your underwear. Me undies are the best underwear you can get out there. And our listeners, we got a code for you. If you want some me undies, if you want to feel fresh, if you want to look good, go to meundies.com. Use the code word friend. Buy 20 for 20% off. That's a bargain any price. So you, you said these are the best underwear you can get? Look at me right now. I don't want to. Look at me. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Go to me undies. <laughs> do what he said with the code. Get them. They're great underwear. That's all I'm going to say about My it. My nuts are so tight. I, I, you took it too far. I ain't mad at you. Got nothing but love for you. Do you think, boy? Yeah. All the homies that I ain't... Okay, and again, great... Great interview, great get by Thank Jay Matty on uh, Mr. Lessig. Interesting stuff. Hope you guys can use information. We hope to inform. Everybody. I tried to press him into running for president. Doesn't sound like he's into it. Nobody takes your advice. Well, I think I think you know he's not going to win, but he could push the the issue of campaign finance reform and debates, which would be very important. Plus, it would just be super awesome to see somebody up there on stage who who we had on the show. That's my 
Yeah, this is your own personal. <laughs> no, but I think I think that it's the number one issue. I agree with him, man. It's the most. It's not like he said. It's not the the most important issue, but it's the first issue. Yeah, Jay, how many times do you direct someone else someone else's life in terms of what they should do? How much advice do you? Because it seems like every, you should I'm, run for office. I'm, you should do this. I'm married. I, I my life is. <laughs> I, I'm not even the puppet master of my own life. What are you talking about? <laughs> Uh, we'll keep it with politics. Um, we're, we're trying to have another kid. Speaking of which, oh, oh wait, oh. Of which, oh, did you did you slip one past the goalie? Uh, well, yesterday was ovulation day, so I get a call while I'm in a meeting that Sweet. I got to rush home. Oh yeah, she's got a time down to the hour now. Wait, let's get some sexy music going. <laughs> Feels so good. Yeah. Okay, all right, go ahead. So uh, all, all the all the. Um, all the professional law professors who are listening to Mr. Lessig, now might be a, a, a good time to, to tune out. But it's, it's you know, afternoon, late afternoon, baby-making time. Uh-oh. The kids are in the house. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when, it, when, it, when you're doing it to make a baby, it's a little less romantic, so you mm. got to do some things to spice it up. And I don't need to get into the details of what spice we did to spice it up, it up but oh, we were yeah. spicing it up. Spice it up. Oh, man. And <laughs> my firstborn... <laughs> Yes. Burst into the room. Oh. Of course, I, I yell at him. And he leaves. <laughs> so we we got it going again. It took a little little bit to get it going again. We finished up. I go out and I talk to him after, and I'm like, you know, son. <laughs> I'm like, do you know what you saw? And he's like, yeah. And he's blushing. I could tell he's embarrassed. Sure. And I'm like, he's like, yeah. You guys, you guys were trying to make a baby. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, we were. Mm-hmm. And he's like, <laughs> he says, Dad. I think you were doing it wrong. <laughs> we, we we weren't missionary. Yeah, you guys were doing. It. Yeah, we'll let you guys use your imagination. Dad, I, yeah. I think you were doing it wrong. Yes. Okay. I lo- I c- oh, I laugh. Well, so he's hard. helpful. He's a yeah. helpful boy. Yeah. I mean, I he's blushing. That. He's embarrassed, but he, yeah. he at the same time he's trying to advise me. Yeah, advise the old man. Trying to make a out. baby, Dad. I don't think that's how that's not how it. everything you said. You're not doing. Why is your head? Never mind. Uh, oh God. So. Do you feel like you're getting closer? I to think this? we hit it. I you think, think I think last it, night was or yesterday afternoon was the one. My son gave him came in. He gave us the blessing. He's a good luck charm. Mm. Uh, we hit it right at the the right minute, down oh. to the minute. Bingo. Nice. Yeah, it, it felt like the one. So I have news for you in a couple weeks. We're seeing. I've been dying to call her your personal cum sponge. That's not nice. Oh, sorry. But speaking of, <laughs> do I direct other people's lives? I mean, I'm I'm trying to make a baby. I don't necessarily want to have. Uh, so the answer to that is no. I don't, I'm not directing anybody's lives. Yeah, you're getting pushed around yeah. into a baby, into the vagina. Yeah. Can we jump into Doggy on the Block before we hit all? Oh, the- oh Doggy uh, on the Block, right? Yeah, we did not Let's do surprise. it. He's he's ready apparently. Let's I do it. Well, as our listeners may or may not know, Dog did 10 years, hard time, selling weed, bad boy. Uh, got out. He's been out. How long have you been out now? Five years. Five years. Yes, as of a couple weeks ago, finally off parole. Free finally man. a free finally, man. Finally, Scott free. So what I want to know is, for a man who's been in lockup for 10 years and been a prisoner in a system for five more, what's the plan, man? Man. Do it. The plan now is to travel. There it is. Apparently, you've been global. Yeah, I've been tra- I've been traveling a little bit, but now yeah. I'm waiting on my passport so I can go out the country. There it is. So now you know, do a little traveling out the country, you know, chill and you know, ex- just explore, eat different foods. Yes, meet different people. Explore. Yeah. You know, you know, make some friends. Yeah, 
throughout the world. Experience. You know, experience. Do it, man. Yeah, so, Travel, you know. Travel's uh, good. Yeah. Where you want to so go? I couldn't wait. Uh, I want to go to Cabo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to go to Mexico, some parts of Mexico. I want to go uh, back to Europe. Mm-hmm. And because you know I went as a kid, but I didn't explore it. Like you know, now, I couldn't appreciate it. Like right now, if I was an adult going over there, I would appreciate it more. I, I, I'm sorry, you but know? I don't. I don't see dog over there in a backpack. <laughs> no, really not a backpack. <laughs> going from hostel to hostel, but you know, like, you, you more got like brothel to you, brothel. Yeah, yeah, you got Amsterdam. <laughs> you know, you you, you can chill. Oh, I, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. red light district. Definitely Amsterdam. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's all kind of shit. Cracking so you're not there. you're not going to see the architecture. Well, and the I already history. saw that. You know, the Leaning Tower, <laughs> Pisa, the Vatican, and, yeah. and Rome, and you know, I've been through all that. Yeah, and I've even been on the uh, what's that in West Germany, the Autobahn. Yeah, yeah. So I've been on all that shit, but you know, like. I want to go and just maybe Europe, you know, uh, maybe uh, Vietnam or something like that. Oh, wow. Philippines. Get deep. No, yeah. you're not. I'm not letting you near the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> not allowed. <laughs> you know, something like that or, you know, just to get out, man. Hey. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Hey, you deserve it. You earned it. Do it. Go to all the places. Yeah. So I'm waiting on my passport now. So I applied for it uh, on the 10th of April. So it should be pulling up any minute. Uh, congratulations, thanks. man. Much congratulations. Well well deserved. Well deserved. Um we'll keep it with politic for the political. Are we spectrum. still on the block? Oh wait. Any more? No, that's the block? all I want. Okay, to know. that was okay. We off the block. I didn't here. come in prepared. I just want to, you know. Yeah, we off I've, the block. I've, I haven't seen Doggy in a month. So. It, he's going through withdrawals. Yeah, he needs. That's big, right. You need more big black men in your life. I do. Apparently, I do. Yeah, I, yeah. That's, I mean, I have a bumper sticker. It says that. <laughs> <laughs> he's taking. He's taking requests. Anyone who wants to join. Um, we're keeping in politics. We start. We have Mr. Lessig on the show. We got. Trump and Mueller going, you know, the it, the ongoing saga of this report that it, it exonerates him, but it doesn't. But Mueller wrote a letter saying he was misinterpreted and then Barr testified oh, and then he wow. skipped the day of testimony. I'm sick of this shit. I'm done. Because all this is is a distraction for Democrats not to win an election. That's all it is. The, the main point of all this is Trump's not, nothing's going to happen to him behind this okay let's get past this part focus on 2020 and what is all these candidates what is a message that can win that's the most important thing right now for a democrat so jay matt i'll let you have the floor on the whole trump Mueller. yeah i don't i don't have a lot to say about it but i'll say two things number Mm -hmm. one they're arguing about this that it doesn't exonerate trump he is exonerated of collusion there's no collusion right Mm -hmm. so the argument is about um uh uh, obstruction of justice. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, that's a mute point because you're talking. Is it mute or it's, moot? It's, it's moot, moot, actually. His mama named Clay. I'm gonna call him Clay. It's a moot point because mm-hmm. you're talking about obstructing justice into an investigation of something he didn't do. Yeah. But whatever. the The bottom line is Democrats are bad at politics. <laughs> they lost in 2016 because all they could talk about was Trump bad, Trump racist, Trump sexist. Now, you, they lost. Now, you would think they would learn from that, and they'd come out now with, like, a platform or something. And their, their leading candidate, Joe Biden, his entire platform, I mean, I saw him on The View. I heard his, his uh, intro video. His whole platform is, I'm sorry about Anita Hill from 20 years ago. Sure. Or really, are you sorry? Mm-hmm. And Trump's racist. That's his whole platform. There's not He has not come up with one policy. And the, and the thing I think it is with him is, Number one, what's he going to come out and say? Uh, right now, the, the Democratic Party has gone really far to the left with the ideas of Bernie, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. He's not going to parrot those ideas because that's Bernie's stuff. You, you're not going to piggyback that. I think he thinks his only chance to win is to stand up there and, and shout about Trump and say, I can beat Trump in the Rust Belt. And he might be right. But the point is, bad at politics. Yeah, Dougie, what is well, you know what have you been watching on this? You know, I you know Trump won mm-hmm. basically with this report and everything because if it was that serious. Democrats have been trying to subpoena the report for how long now? The report's out. It's, yeah, it, but I mean, I'm just saying, like nothing else is coming out though. Like mm-hmm. you know, before they so- tried to subpoena the whole report for what about a month after it was out? Sure, yeah, because they only gave. Uh, it's redacted. Of it. They're always redacted. Right. So, I mean, Trump came out on top. He won. Oh, it definitely helped him. Yeah, it helped him. Um, he calls Joe Biden Crazy Joe, mm-hmm. right? And Joe Biden. Sleepy Joe, he calls him. Oh, okay. Uh, creepy Joe? Sleepy Joe. Oh, okay. Creepy, creepy Joe sleepy. would be better. Yeah, because he's, you know, touchy, touchy, feely, feely, too. Yeah. So, you should have gone with Creepy Joe. Yeah, it, it's yeah. just like, I really think. That's your guy, isn't it, B? I, uh, right now, yeah. I really because, think he's yeah. going to get, I, I think Trump's going to get reelected. Think he's, he, I think he'll win again. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, be I surprised. think he'll win again. But but what they're coming at him with now is this: is that they're going after Barr because Barr's letter misled the public, and it's like, what is it? What does it matter? Barr's the, the, the whole attorney general, out. right? Like he's the attorney general. Yeah, he yeah. summarized it. His his summary was accurate compared to the report. He said there's no evidence of collusion, and there's nothing to prosecute on for. For obstruction. I mean, it's pretty accurate. And what does it matter anyway that his letter is obsolete? The whole report's out. You can go read the whole report. They're just spinning their tires. And and B's right. They should be focused on 2020 if they want to win. And they're not yeah. doing that. Mm. They're yeah. going to lose. So let's the let's us lose. focus on, on that and move on. How about yes. that? Yeah, we'll move on. To more Trump. Um, oh. <laughs> oh. But it's sports related. Okay, so the NFL oh, draft occurs. And, you know, Kyler, uh, what is it? Is it? Murray. What's his first name? Don't Ky- know. Kyler Murray? About. Is it Kyler Murray? Who are you yeah. talking about? The, 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 the quarterback. Yeah, got drafted first. Yes. Yeah. To Kyler the Arizona Murray. Cardinals. Right. Number two pick, Nick Bosa, goes to San Francisco, the, uh, the 49ers, and Trump praises Nick Bosa. Okay. And there's wow. so what? no coincidence here, but Nick Bosa is a huge MAGA guy, and he commends him. And so on and so forth. So, so of course, there's a, the, the normal outrage behind this is that why didn't he support the black guy who was in the number one pick, who was Kyler Murray? Um, I don't really see it as a race thing. What I do, what I see it is as another instance where this president is showing he's president of his followers, and that's it. He's yeah. not president for you unless you follow him. That's interesting. That's what I we, I talked to Larry a, a bit about that and. Mm-hmm. Trump's done that maybe more than anyone, but that's how they've all become. Mm-hmm. And the reason is they, they with gerrymandering and whatnot and the way the news is, politicians only speak to their base now because that's how you get reelected is appealing to your base. Well, I think it's different when you're, you're the president of the United well, yeah, States. Yeah, you should be. But yeah. in theory, yeah, you mm-hmm. are. But what's he trying to do? He's trying to get reelected. You want to get reelected, you, you preach to your choir. Mm-hmm. But, That's what you do in modern American politics. But would it have been a detriment to him to say, and the number one pick, Kyler Murray? No, of no, no. You know why? Because mm-hmm. why not just say all the first round picks? There you go. Yeah, there you so, go. No, but, no, no. Yeah, he did but, the right thing. But also, who gives a shit? Yeah. Why are we <laughs> just he, throw it in there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, go ahead, doggy. No, I'm just saying. You know, Bosa's a big MAGA guy, so yeah, fuck it. Yeah. You know. No. 
that's the yeah. I don't make it. I don't is think Bosa it's, a white guy. Yeah, yeah, of course. But I don't think it's about race. I just think it's him, the the president, showing again that he's the only president for a certain group of people, which is scary because you don't previously you've not had that that I remember. I don't remember a president going so far beyond to just say these are my people. The rest of you are insignificant. Well, he doesn't actually say that, but his 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 rhetoric does do that more so than past presidents. But they've all done that. Obama did that too. Just uh, he was a little more sly about it. Eh, I don't think so. But anyway, um, one of the folks clinging, clinging to your guns and Bibles. You don't remember that? No, I don't remember him. See, because because he. I mean, you live in a there was, echo chamber no, with the rest of them. There was never a feeling that I got that Obama only catered to one group of people. I, I didn't no. yeah I didn't think that I just like right. I didn't no, think he no, was he was more sly about it that's what I'm saying he may have been but yeah. he like I said I never thought he was the black president I don't think he catered to black people no he didn't so he didn't cater to black people there you go um, sticking with sports and more politics Tiger Woods uh, after his master's win and congratulations to Tiger it's been a long, long yeah, time Tiger. he's still a thing he is oh, man yeah. I mean he's been through hell he he you know his very public uh you know personal life with his women and his divorce and then he gets injured and he can't win anymore and then he's back on then dui and yeah then all this the way stuff. he was publicly crucified was was don't understand that i still never who let me ask you this he gets caught he goes has to have a news conference hires all these big time pr people and their solution was for him to go on camera and say i'm sorry who was he apologizing to was he yeah, apologizing exactly. to me right yeah i had nothing to do he the only person who owed an apology to is probably his wife. And yeah. that should have been personal. Yeah. And and I wouldn't have answered a question about it because it's no. nobody's business. No, we're we're a nosy society. It, it's a it it that whole thing was messed up. I don't I'll never understand. His actions that. were messed up, but it has nothing to do with golf or us. Yeah. But they said he they they, they wanted him to say sorry because of his sponsors. And you're like, well, he lost his sponsors anyway. So what are we talking about? But anyway. He's going to visit Trump at the White House, you know, as people won different championships, certain teams like the Golden State Warriors and others have avoided Trump. But Tiger, not surprisingly, because Tiger's never really been that political figure, like much like Michael Jordan. He's never been like political. Republicans buy sneakers, too. Exactly. And I think Tiger's a businessman. Michael's a businessman. Not a big deal here, but I did want to mention it. Doggy, do you have any feelings about Tiger going to go visit Trump? I think it's great. You know, um, Tiger and um, Trump are good friends. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't think it matters. You think they used to pick up, like, waitresses together? Probably. At, at Probably. Denny's? Probably. Yeah, more than likely, right? For at, a, sorry, go at, ahead. The, at the Playboy Mansion and all that yeah, shit. I believe it. With Bill Cosby and Hugh. <laughs> <laughs> you know they probably all hung out. I believe I could see that nibbling on toes and shit. Yeah, <laughs> for a supposedly racist president, he sure has a lot of black friends. Oh God, don't. With well, that. I mean, just because some black guy that does hey, again, they're not mutually exclusive. Racists aren't friends with black people. Do I have to bring up Donald Sterling again? It you can be racist and still communicate and pay and employ black people and correspond with them. The two that's why the argument gets shot down by black people because it doesn't mean anything. It's just like I said before. If someone you says, Oh man, I think that guy's gay and someone says, Oh no, he's married, he has a wife, they're like that's, that's different. No, it's the same thing. No, you can know. totally be racist and, so, and see so where black people t- hang out. Tiger with. Woods and Kanye and Larry Elders and Joy Villa, these are like his his beards. I don't even know if they're that because to I think to black people with common sense they know that that doesn't make him not racist. But because, he, he because like, of, I mean he's friends with those people. That doesn't make him not racist. 
it you can be like we went through the Donald Sterling thing. You can be a part of black people's lives and provide for them and all that other stuff and still be racist. Sure, it, you it, can. Sure. For sure. But yeah. he but he sure seems to hang out with a lot of black people for a racist guy. I don't think he does. I think he hangs out with a lot of celebrities who may just happen to yeah, be black. Because I don't think he cares about the color. He care he's more of a he's more what would you be somebody who is uh he's a snob. He's a snob, but I think he has a racial issue. I do. All right. But anyway, sticking with race, because that's what we do here on the show. Um, I wanted to talk about this last week, but Maddie couldn't count and tell the time zone or anything. So we had to dis- postpone the show. Um, there was an issue with the Chicago White Sox. Uh, this player, um, I don't know his first name, Anderson. He's a black player. He was suspended for one game for calling a white player. There goes Doggy. Don't fall down. Are you okay? Oh, he's going to the bathroom probably. Is he lit up already? No, he's nice. He's jolly. He's fine. Um, He was suspended one game for calling a white Royals pitcher the N-word. Now, keep in mind, the pitcher hit him with the ball, Mm -hmm. and he called him the N-word. Major League Baseball suspended him, and the question came to my mind immediately was, is it racially motivated? Well, no, it's not racially motivated. So does he deserve the suspension? Maddie, your take on well, this. Well, you know how I feel about this and words and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's it's not the words you use, it's the intention, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I think that we have this one word that is all powerful word, more powerful than all the other words that only certain people are allowed to say and other people can't. I think it's, it's silliness. <laughs> I don't think anybody should be suspended for saying a certain word. But I think you should be suspended for acts of of violence. So mm-hmm. did he was he violent? Then he should be suspended. But if you've set the precedent that you're gonna suspend anyone who throws that word out, mm-hmm. if you've already set that silly precedent that if you use this word you're suspended, then yeah, you should be suspended. You gotta stick to the precedent. I think okay. I didn't think it was racially motivated. I think he said the word probably out of anger and didn't realize the guy was white, because when you're angry, you don't have time to think about stuff like that. But I think the suspension... But what does it matter if it was racially motivated? Because you sh- if you belong to a league that caters to, or that promotes to, hopefully, uh, a diverse community, you don't want to condone racial, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, controversy or racial uh, slights toward an individual okay, on your ball Okay, he's, but he's using a racial slur. Sure. So if that's your policy and that's what you're going to roll with, then mm-hmm. you got to enforce it all around i agree i and i think the important thing with this is the reason they have to enforce this even though it's a black guy calling a white guy the n-word which doesn't well i don't know i'll let you decide if it makes sense or not but it's important because of the unknown the latino players because if you allow this to go by what you're gonna have is baseball a huge latino sport whether it be from people of the dominican republic cubans whatever what have you they then feel free to say, oh, okay, well, then we can use the word because he, you guys let him get away with it. So you have to be careful. You have to watch the Latinos, folks, because they want to use that word, too, just like white people, but they keep it to themselves better than Yeah, anybody. so how, how dark do they have to be before they're in the crowd that can say it? You know what it's, I mean? It's, it's not dark. It's where you're from. Mm. That's the difference. Okay. That's why. You, and the thing is, why do people want to say it? <laughs> that's always the well thing. because black people made it cool well that well it okay everything that's happened to black people can they just have this one word out of everything that's happened that no one else uses just one word that's it i don't think that they should be suspending people based on words they say everything is suspend people for saying the f word 
You know, I don't mean fuck. I mean fag. Are mm-hmm. they going to suspend people for that? Are they going to suspend people for saying calling someone a bitch? Uh, you shouldn't base it on the word. People should be suspended. Racism should not be tolerated in baseball. If you if you're behaving in a racist way, like if if you call a black guy my n word mm-hmm. and and they catch that on the microphone and you're a white guy, no, you should not be suspended. Mm-hmm. But if you say you fucking boom suspension, but it should go both ways. Yeah, no, it should go both ways. I think it, baseball did a good thing because even though it, you know, on paper it didn't make sense because you're saying a black guy is calling a white guy this, you have to enforce it because everyone then feels free to just say it. And you can't say it because it's a dangerous word. It's just like yelling fire in a right, crowd. But to bill. my point, mm-hmm. black guys say that to each other on the baseball field all the time. They shouldn't be suspended, should they? No. No, they shouldn't. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Well, you see, this is the thing. Intent. Maybe, maybe they should to just get rid of the word completely in the sport because you you can't it's tough to enforce do, do you want to get rid of the word i don't think I, so let me say this i think that's a little bit like trying to take guns away it's not i possible. wouldn't i wouldn't lose any sleep if the word didn't exist but the, it just seems weird to me that you have this one word and people were like well, why can't i say it and you say well why do you want to say it <laughs> it's like because it sounds cool you're like well no you don't get to say it because the person that you're affecting went through a lot to kind of earn the right to this word. I agreed with that to a degree, but yep. you shouldn't be suspended for just saying it in like a fun-loving way. But you, you shouldn't, shouldn't say it, but you shouldn't be suspended for it. It should not suspend people based on the words they say. They should suspend if you're behaving like a racist or you're being aggressive or you're acting out in hatred, suspend for that. But the, you see, this, uh, that's where you get into tr- trouble because you can't determine people's intent a lot sure of times. Sure, you can. Yeah, you no, can. you can't. Not all the in time. In baseball, you can't. Not all the time. You Not remember the when time. the guy uh, from the Astros did that uh, sign to you, Darvish? Yeah, with the, the slant eye or whatever he did. I yeah. mean, that's racist. Sure. Automobile. Yeah. No, it was. Completely. You know, you didn't have to even say anything. Did he get suspended? Yeah, he did. Oh, yeah. And baseball was right in that, that point, too. So, no. you have, And that's what I was saying, Doggy, before you walked away. Where'd you go, by the way? Oh, I just had to, you know, make a quick call to my aunt. Oh, all right. How's she doing? Oh, she's doing all right. I love your aunt. Yeah. Um... So, you have what do you? So, what do you think, Doug? Black guy calls a white guy the n word. I think it doesn't mean anything because he's just saying basically like, "Damn motherfucker" or "Damn nigga." Yeah, you know, like it's it shouldn't. He shouldn't be suspended or anything for that. Mm-hmm. The black guy. Well, but if the white guy said it's the black guy, yeah, then it gets, it might have been a little sure different. But is he going to say nigger or nigga? But then because that, that might be uh, the white guy's like you know s- speech. That's you know? true. But again, you, that's why you can't base it on the word. You got to base it on the intent. Yeah, it's tough to read people's intent all the time. Yeah, it, but it, if you, you call a motherfucker like nigger, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's, that's the some problem. old Bible Belt shit. Exactly. But if you just saying my nigga, nigga, that's just like, hey, what's up, motherfucker? Yeah, now no, that's it. You now, so if it's okay for him to call the white guy or the the white guy the n word, is it okay for all the Latinos in the game to just start saying it? Um, well, you know, Latinos are kind of racist toward blacks, <laughs> so I'm not going to just sit up here and, and know, allow that to happen. Give right? them a pass no. for that, but you know, like Latinos among themselves, they call each other nigger. Yeah, so you know, and a I'm black too- doesn't have to even be around. And they do so that. amongst themselves, they call each other nigger. And Latinos, please stop doing that. You know what I'm saying? Do but that. you know, if they call a black a nigga, it's, then it's a problem. It's like it might be a problem. Exactly. Um, sticking with race, uh, T 
TSA, the people, the lovely people you meet at the airport on your way to, to your destinations, they got they caught some flack for, I guess, disproportionately stopping black women at their checkpoints. With their defenses, and you got to, I guess I could believe this, the scanners frequently give false alarms for afros, braids, and twists. So as you, if you're going through there and you got your afro puffs or your cornrows or your whatever, what they're saying is that the scanners give a false read and set off an alarm. Do you believe them, Maddie? I don't know. The TSA needs to just chill in general. Like it's a, it's out of hand. They don't really do any good. It's not solved any problems on, on this issue. Uh, I don't know. Like <laughs> why would they, if, if they were, if they were disproportionately doing, let's say black men who look like gangbangers, I'd say that they're, they're profiling. Yeah. If it's coming up women with giant, Afros, that, that seems like it could be legit. Like, it could be something with the technology. Maybe. I, well, I don't know. I'm not, I didn't build it. I tend to believe that that could be it. Doggy? I think it's profiling. Mm-hmm. Anytime you're talking about a black woman with an afro. Yeah. That's uh, like Pam Greer. But they're talking you know? about the women. It's not happening to the dudes. Yeah, just... So... I mean, it, it, the black women, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, but, black women. But yeah, not exactly. dudes. If you're profiling, wouldn't you profile the dudes no, more so than the women? No, you profile the women. No. Why, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Who's more likely to be a terrorist? Well, we'll be interesting to find Neither out. Neither. Yeah. Black. Well, I mean a man or a woman. Yeah. A oh, man. Hey, you, you never know nowadays. Yeah. Women strap themselves up with bombs, too. That's true. It'd be interesting to see if men with cornrows and braids and afros get stuck. You know, I, I don't have a thing on that. If anybody knows, let us know. TSA is the worst. That's that's It's, it's a bad gig, man. Yeah. It's a bad gig. But I mean, you know what? It, it like... It makes me feel more comfortable hopping on the plane. Does it really? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think it does that for some people. I think there's a false sense of security. Look, it, it's not like they're going out and hiring high quality, like the the best police officers in the country. These are jobs that barely pay more than minimum wage. You're not mm-hmm. getting, you're getting people who don't give a shit. It's a job they don't want to work, and I, I I don't trust they're doing a good job. And there's been enough tests that have been run where people. You know, see if they can sneak this knife through and whatnot, and mm-hmm. and they don't catch it. So, what's the point of it? Yeah, it's it's a safety thing. People, I mean, after nine eleven, it was well, just chaotic, and people needed whatever. And are they probably doing the soup the best they can do? Maybe not. Um, I think that I believe them. I think that you know, just like everything else, there are not there's not technology and a lot of other things made for black folks. So there's stuff that occurs that. Maybe a computer isn't ready for because it's tested on white people more than black people. I will let them off the hook on this one. Doug, uh, what's the the best hair story you've had in dating black women? Hair story? Yeah, hair story. Putting a hand in a hair, or yeah, like, a weave or what? You know, they don't like to swim. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, they, they couldn't like swim. To, yeah, no, they can oh, swim. God, Some of them can swim. <laughs> yeah. But they Some don't like them. to swim because of their weave or their hair. Mm-hmm. Um that's basically it. You know, like, that's what I came across. It's like, you know, because some women I've dated, they've had their own hair. Some women I've dated haven't had their own hair. Yeah. yeah. You know, they mix it up sometimes. Being, so, but if you have your own hair or not, being a black female, they still don't want to hop in that water. Yeah. yeah. They're I've scared of that water. Yeah. The hair thing is serious with black. I mean, because there's stuff like, you know, if my wife does her hair, I'm basically xing out sex for the night. There's no sex that night because it's the hair's done. Mm-hmm. It's done. You just lose sex that whole night, yeah. no matter what happens. 
So that is an issue. Hair, black women and hair is an issue. TSA. I've, I, I can I give my, uh, you, yeah, don't, you don't go to the white guy. You assume he doesn't have a black was, hair story. I was trying to set you up, man, but go ahead. I've been, I've been slapped by a black woman for the hair thing. You probably deserved it. I did not. I mean, we were, we're making out. We're having a good time. Her name was Tiffany, I believe. Hey, Tiffany. Redondo Beach. If you're listening. And we're having a nice time, I think. And I, I put my hand on the back of her head uh-huh. in a gentle way. Mm-hmm. And she backed off and cracked me and nice. gave me a lecture about how she had to educate me about black women yeah. and their hair. And we're... Oh, man. I'm like, all right, you know, maybe, I guess maybe I... She's not the first black woman I ever kissed, but uh, this was the first time this came up. Maybe I needed to be educated, but I didn't need to be slapped. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? You know what? I think black women are so aggressive. Uh, I think we should pick up, pick up Tiffany's education where <laughs> she, she left off and just started reaching around and just slapping the shit out of you. Hey, you know, say something. Hey, whatever gets your rocks off, buddy. <laughs> um, our good friend Jesse Smollett, back in the news. Oh, shit. He's back in the news? He is, and I'm getting tired of him, but I had to say this. Uh, he got renewed for season six, but then... He got renewed? He did. But what, then what do you mean he got renewed? His contract got renewed oh. for season six, but Fox says he's not coming back to Empire. So basically they got him in limbo. What does that mean? Um, what it means is they're waiting probably to see the results of the civil cases against him. You got the Nigerians suing him or suing uh, somebody. So, yeah, they filed a federal suit that implicated Smollett, and the city of Chicago is also suing him. So I think Fox is saying, okay, we'll keep you on hold. If the civil suit turns out damaging, we'll never put you on TV again. But if it comes out that shit, by some miracle, you were a victim in all this, or you get away, we'll put you on TV and exploit you and promote that we have you on the show to get ratings. That's what I think that message means. Can the contract mean, can they like use the contract to not put him on Empire, but lock him up in some reality show so he can't go on some other network? Because I said before, I think they're gonna, he's going to have a reality show out of this. He's going to pop up again. Um, it depends on what the contract, I'm sure there's wording that they, if he put his signature on it, you know, the contract could say anything. But um, I think this is a move to keep him in limbo while they figure out the fallout from these uh, lawsuits. Yeah. Are we supposed to feel bad for him that they put him in limbo? No, just I, I, I couldn't feel bad for him. I just think that if if he escapes the civil suit, which I don't think he will, or the the suit from the, the Nigerians, um, I think I totally believe that Fox and Empire will have a storyline where the same thing happens. I totally believe that's going to happen. But he may not make it back because those lawsuits could be damaging. I, I, think. I, I still think he's going to get a reality show. All the crappy reality shows they put out there and, and uninteresting people, mm-hmm. people would watch Jesse Smollett. Yeah. Some people would. Doggy, would you watch Jesse Smollett? No. He's, <clears throat> he's uninteresting to me. Even if there was a storyline built around the same thing that happened to him, like it was a yeah. snatch from the headlines? I'm cool on Smollett. You're done. Yeah. Yeah, that's most of it. But your, heart, your boy Harvey Weinstein. I'm my boy. Yeah. He... <laughs> He's he was in court to discuss his uh, out. sexual harassment. Or sorry, actually, there's rape. It's like one rape allegation yeah, and another sexual it. assault. Yeah. His case got delayed until September. Now, again, you have the case of the white man accused of these allegations. His case is sort of hidden in the background. You don't hear a whole lot about it. Got delayed again. Meanwhile, and again, R. Kelly, I think 100 percent wrong. R. Kelly shit is all over. As a matter of fact. There's going to be a follow-up on Lifetime to R. Kelly. So, and Bill is doing the bid. And Bill's, yeah. And Bill's behind bars. Yeah. So 
I don't know what's going to happen to Harvey. I hope that if he's guilty, he gets the same treatment as these other two black gentlemen. Let's hope so. Yes. Speaking of, of sexual harassment, I was having a conversation with a girl yesterday. Mm-hmm. And th- this is how some millennials think. Um, and I found it fascinating because we were talking about sexual harassment and all the intricacies of it. And I brought up how by law now, at least in California, a woman cannot consent if she's been drinking, mm-hmm. if she's legally intoxicated, meaning like two, three drinks, even if you're married to her, she cannot consent to sex. Like that is by the letter wow. of the law, it's rape. Sure. Mm. And I, w- I was saying this, like, isn't that ridiculous? Mm-hmm. And this girl was like, yeah, I, that's how it should be. No. That, and, and apparently that's not the minority opinion with, you know, young millennials mm-hmm. who are out there. I, I don't, I don't understand that. I don't understand how, Kids used to be the sexually liberal ones, the ones who were about sexual, you know, the 60s was sexual liberation, freedom, mm-hmm. uh, free love, all that. Somehow we've gotten to the point where the youngsters are fucking less than the adults and they've become the Puritans. Sure. And I don't know when that switch happened or why. I, You know what? I have been married so long and out of the game so long that I'm grateful because if I had to deal with any of this shit... I don't know what you would do because there's I don't know if you saw the uh, video that these people put out about uh, comparing your sexual activity to drinking tea where, you know, you ask the lady if she wants tea. A consent she, video. Yeah. Yeah. And if no, she I haven't says seen yes, that one, but there's a bunch of those. Yeah. Yeah. You give her the tea. But if she says no, you take the tea away. Even if you gave her tea last week, you don't have to. <laughs> I mean, they break it down. Yeah. They, like, I'll, actually, maybe I'll play a clip of it. If someone said yes to tea, started drinking it and then passed out before they'd finished it. Don't keep on pouring it down their throat. Take the tea away. Make sure they're safe because unconscious people don't want tea. But, um, but it, it's just too complicated. I mean, so you go, you got these people promoting the step by step thing where you say, okay, we're in this heated moment. Hey, I'm kissing you now. Is it okay if I put my hand on your breast? Oh, okay. You like that? Cool. Can I put my hand right. wherever? Yeah. And I just don't know how you pull that off no look let's I, not let's, and, and maybe yeah people are going to write in letters be like what do you mean no, it's, it's, it's no, easy to not a, not our audience and yeah. and let's not uh minimize consent consent yeah. is important sure right you got to have you got to know she wants it and no means no right yeah. that's what we say in our day no means no and mm-hmm. i think everybody gets that now there's not a problem with guys not getting consent there's a problem with some guys don't give a shit that's the problem so adding all these other rules like may i touch you here may i touch you there that's not going to cut down on on any uh of the sexual deviancy out there Mm -hmm. all that's all that's doing is getting in the way of a good time like your sex is supposed to be fun and spontaneous and romantic you know when you're with a girl without asking okay can i take off your bra you know when you've crossed the line by her body language, or mm. she might just say that's too far, but to go every step of the way, may I this, may I that, and then th- this idea that a-, a woman cannot consent if she's had a few drinks. That's bullshit. Well, yeah, a lot of women go out and drink for the purpose of they want to get laid. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the reason they go drink. You know. I don't think I had sober sex until I was about 25. Anybody who's been to college, if that if they're going by the letter of the law, half the sex they've had is was not rape. Yeah. Right? Because they were drunk, the partner was drunk. 
And to suggest that you cannot have sex with your wife, even if she's, if she's had some drinks. Yeah. Like I, I told you about last weekend, we got super intoxicated. The wife and I mm-hmm. um, did some some uh, crazy stuff. We had a really good time. Nice. And um, the next day, I think she she was a little bit embarrassed. And she <laughs> said, well, I didn't remember that one thing. And maybe she did, maybe she didn't. But she wasn't she mad remember. about it. She yeah. wasn't mad about it. She wasn't like, oh, you, you know that was inappropriate because I was drinking. She was the aggressor. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Dougie, that's crazy. It's like, Mm -hmm. to me, no means no to like someone you just met. But no doesn't mean no to somebody you've been fucking. Well, (laughs) you know, over a while, over a while. that one up. Yeah, I mean, like, if somebody, no, no, because, you know, women, I've been with before in the past, no. Well, some women like to play games. they be like, no. They want you to talk and then do it. No, the next thing you know, you you know, you're not aggressive with it. Okay. Then they say, you know, you slid up in it. Yeah, Yeah. some women. You know what I'm saying? So, to me, if you have to know the woman, yeah, you have you know, a different like if, rapport if, if, with Yeah, her. if it's like yeah. somebody I just met or something like that, and she said no, mm. that means no. Yeah. yeah. Can I clarify that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because that sounded bad how you said it, but I get what you mean. We get yeah. it. No means no, but some women, they want you to, to kind of talk them into it. Yeah. So you can, you can talk them into it, but when they say no, even if it's a no, talk me into it, it means maybe just talk me into it. It means you stop touching, you stop all that, and you... But then they'll give in. <laughs> They'll give in. There's a line with that though. You got to be careful. Old, you got the older ones. You know, like the ones you've been with before. See now, yeah, now, not we're, the new ones. now we're in dangerous territory. Yeah. No, they'll, 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 you guys know what I'm talking about. Well, I know what you're talking about. You guys about. have been down that road. Yeah, sure, Burn, you've been down that I've been road, down that road. Yes. where they said no at first, but then next thing you know, you're jumping you, up and down. You're on you're changing your mind. You're, yeah. you're negotiating. Yes. Yeah. No, you're you're right. Yeah. But it's a thin line. Yeah. This is my. I have a solution. I just figured out a solution. Okay, so you're into it. You're kissing, you're making out, and all this other stuff. It, it, uh, I think one problem is a lot of this burden, and, and some of it should be owned by men. Some of the burden does fall on men, but some should fall on women, too, to where, here's an idea. If at any time, women out there, if you feel like you don't want to go through with this, walk out of the room. Just leave. Walk out of the room. If he stops you, then you have a case against him. Not saying that, that things are going to end great for you in that case, but just leave. Just walk out. Stop. Yeah. Walk out of the room. There needs, That's it. There needs to be more responsibility on on the woman and both and, sides. And, yeah, both sides. And but there's none. Like they're they're absolved of all their actions it seems like and that that's not really you're right if you don't want to be there walk out walk of the out of the room get up story and now, you haven't said anything if he if he grabs you and pulls you back to bed well now he's now it's a problem yeah and now it's totally you know that's completely wrong you still have to go to court of law you still have to prove it still have to go through hell probably women i get right. that it's embarrassing all that other stuff but the first step is to try to walk out yeah well what they will come back with what the other side will come back with is i should be able to be where i want and behave how I want. That doesn't give you a right to do this, that, and the other thing. Um, yeah, maybe you're, maybe you're right about that. But if a guy is being inappropriate to you, why do you want to be there? Exactly. Or how about this? If you don't walk right, walk right out, and you do want to have an experience, tell him, look, I am cool with A, B, and C. I am not cool with D. D is anal. I'm not cool with D. D is always anal. <laughs> but... You could tell, yeah. you could tell, not, them, always. not always, it's sometimes E and F, but you tell them, look, I'm cool with this and that. I'm not going all the way today. Please stop. T- and then walk out. But there, the responsibility falls on both play, uh, parts. Absolutely. Guys, don't be assholes. Women walk out of the room. And speaking of what you brought up, I, I thought about this last week. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting idea. That I don't have an answer to. 
So you mentioned how, how men are usually the aggressor. It's That's kind of by our genetics or social roles or whatever, mm-hmm. we've developed in a way that men are usually expected to make the first move while at the same time doing so puts you in danger nowadays. So it's kind of a, a tough place to be in for youngsters who are out there trying to date because you're expected to make that first move, but then yeah. uh, sometimes making the first move makes you a sexual aggressor. Anyway, my question is, I saw these two smoking, smoking hot Mm. lesbians in in rome right yeah and what immediately came to my mind was women are used to being approached Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. all women even even the less attractive ones yeah but attractive women they don't even need to develop any other skills to get men to approach them or or get people (laughs) to approach them they get approached a million times a day, probably more than they want to, just based on how they look. It probably even gets annoying. Mm-hmm. So when you get this super hot smoke show over here and this dime piece over here, mm-hmm. and they're both lesbians, and they're both used to being approached all the time, how do those two connect in a relationship? Like, do they have to get set up by a friend? Like, how does that happen? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, but yeah. you, you're right. I mean, the, it, super, I remember working when I worked at the airport millions of years ago. There was this woman who walked in, and like you say, smoke show, blonde, she's probably 5'11", you know, short-cut dress, boobs out, the whole thing. I Get me excited. No, it was great. I walked her up, because I, I was working in baggage or whatever, so I got it. Of course, I made sure I walked her up to the uh, to her gate, and I was like, she was telling me about her day or whatever, and she's like, now, I think I'm going to go have a guy buy me a drink. And sure enough, she went and sat down in the bar. By the time I turned around, she had a drink. Yeah. So... They do, you know, it's it's tough for everybody. But like I said, responsibility on both sides. Women, if you don't like the situation, bail. Guys, don't be jerks. Um, speaking of sex, but of the illegal nature, you have the Boy Scouts of America who came out with a report, confidential files on suspected pedophiles maintained by the organization contain the name of 7,800 individuals. Sounds these, about right. These are 7,800 pedophiles. That are associated with the uh, Boy Scouts of America. The Boy Scouts have maintained these files for a while. Um, I don't know. Wait, the Boy Scouts have known about this? Yeah, I think they've maintained the files. It it said from 1959 to 1985, they were made public in 2012. Does that mean they were covering it up, like the church? It doesn't. So they don't get accused of a cover up here. It. um, Let's see here. Uh, There's about 12,000 suspected victims. And, um, oh, shit, and <laughs> no coincidence, Boy Scouts are considering filing for bankruptcy, which is probably the precursor to whatever lawsuit is about to happen with these 12,000 victims and 7,800 pedophiles. Or suspected, sorry, suspected pedophile. That doesn't sound better when you're a suspected pedophile versus nah, a pedophile. Yeah, my high school basketball, yeah. not my high, my ninth grade basketball coach just mm-hmm. got picked up for pedophilia in our hometown. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah, I mean it's it's all over the place. Like, I I had a I, the same girl I was talking to yesterday about about rape culture. Quote: mm-hmm. We talked about this, and this is this is an interesting one. Dogs falling asleep. Oh. No, I'm not. Not bringing his A game today. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> He's up. Just resting your eyes. Yep, rest He's off the mat. All right. He's so, off the mat. So um, I'm about to go get a, I need a <clears throat> massage. You, oh, you go get it. <laughs> but what, what, pedophilia. So. We've we've talked before about imprinting, right? Mm-hmm. How your sexual proclivities as as a man develop between the ages of four and eight, based on things that happen to you. So, if you are molested as a, as a, a young boy, mm-hmm. that's a violation. It's awful. It fucks you up for life. But at the same time, it feels good. It feels get your little boy 
penis tickled. Yeah. So that yeah. well, develops like you. I, I still like it. My kids like it. I mean, not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> they're, they're tickling their peckers all the time. We understand. We understand. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so down the line, if you've been molested, the, this facts are you're about a million times more likely to become a, a, a pedophile, no. right? That does not exonerate you from your actions as an adult when you act on that. Mm-hmm. But there's the rare individual out there in the world who can repress his sexual desires. Yeah. Almost, almost nobody. Gay guys can't do it. Straight men can't do it. Um, people who are into animals can't do it. Like, so if, if your thing is kids, because you're fucked up in the head, yeah. what do we do about that? What is the solution? It's, you know, it, it, it's, yeah, we talked about this before, but it's one really? of those things that, yeah, we did. Um, you can't handle until the act occurs, kind of. And then when the act occurs, it's too late. Yeah, because you've made another one now. It's already, yeah. So you passed it down. That's it. So, yeah. wh- what do you do? How you, do you handle this as a society? You arrest the people and put them away. That's the only thing you can do. You can you proactively, like, you know, you might not have acted on it, but you, but you might be like uh, Googling 10 year old boys. Can you get, get those boys and chemically castrate them? Well, it, de- mm. it depends on the alleged offender or the alleged uh, expected offender. Um, yeah. They have to, there's a lot of responsibility to turn yourself in and say, hey, I need you to chemically, chemically castrate. No, no, me. not be turned in, but, you know, they know what you're Googling. Sure. Well, then now, how do they know what you're Googling? Are they now into your private? Well, they are. That's how they got my coach. Well, yeah, it it it's tough because you have rights to Google yeah. what you want to Google sure. and whatever. So yeah, I guess. yeah yeah. I, I don't. I'm, I wasn't suggesting they do that. I'm just saying I don't. I don't know how to. You, there's no defense. It's you're 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 broken into two groups. You're a pre. If you're into kids, you're pre pedophile, meaning you like kids, but you haven't acted on it. And then you're post-pedophile, which means hopefully you're on your way to prison. There's no, like, in Yeah, between. but by the time you're post-pedophile, mm-hmm. with the way that pedophiles are created, you've now handed that down. To and there's other... more pedophiles. So it's it's a disease. It's almost like a communicable disease. Mm-hmm. It gets passed down and passed down. you got to stamp it out somehow. Yeah. It's like if you watch Game of Thrones, like the White Walkers. Like, all these zombies are dead. And then when they die, the, the Night King comes. And then he makes Dude, them rise I'm, from the dead. I'm falling asleep with... It, Everybody, you know what? Uh, our viewers or our listeners, sorry, are with me on this because it was 180 million percent of of the crew here is not with you. 180 million people watch this show. The show on Sunday was phenomenal, by the way. But it was 180 million people that need a hobby. Oh, awesome show. We'll, we'll go more in depth next week. No, we won't. Yeah, we will. I'll, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Never mind. Um. You gave us the story. A kid named the Boogeyman. He sets the world some sort of world track record, and he's in high school. Like he, oh, yeah, he smoked yeah. like the field. He ran like what a nine was it a nine nine eight or yeah. nine Jesus. something like that. A hundred yard dash. Don't bury the lead. Okay, he's a white kid, right? He's a white boy. Okay, fastest boy in the land. White yeah. boy. The week after black people dominate the NFL I, I draft. Mean, does that mean sure? Go ahead and have that white kid running. What are you guys better at anymore if we're the fastest now, too? You're talking about one white kid, and this white kid was probably... The fastest. Yeah, he's the fastest probably because he's running from a bunch of blacks. (laughs) (laughs) That's all it is. He's still the fastest. Well, okay. (laughs) I'll take the, I don't know, how many millionaires... Typically on something like that, you would say, I bet he's got a black daddy. I Googled this. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's nothing. No black, of course you did. Yeah. But no, I'll take the draft. 
the past weekend, the NFL created a million, or I don't know how many, black millionaires, right? Yeah. So you could have the how kid. Many, how many quarterbacks? Oh, we got Haskins went seventh, right? To did the Redskins, yeah. Did, did any other quarterbacks go oh, Kyler Murray went first. Is he black guy? Yes, he is. Oh, they're coming up. Now we're domina- up. dominating quarterbacking. Just taking well, over that's, stuff. That's actually too bad for you that a black quarterback got drafted first because now you can't complain about that one like you did last year. Oh, it's it's still this this so was still going to complain about yeah it. I'm still going to no <laughs> this was uh, an anomaly I think this kid's talent was so great that they could not yeah. look past it's it. an anomaly Jamarcus just like Cam Russell Newton first and too. Jamarcus Russell yeah <laughs> well that was the Raiders that's different that's a whole he was different. great too <laughs> in college yeah I mean he, I mean he could throw the ball he just, right. yeah. He just, just he just couldn't put down the cheeseburger. Right. That was it. We should wrap this up. We're over two I, hours. Yeah. I agree. All right, everybody. Well, thank you all for listening. We're back and hope you enjoyed it. Jay Maddie, tell them where you can find us on Facebook. We're on Facebook.com at the Dad Presents. Get us on Twitter at the same. Also Instagram. And please go to iTunes. No matter where you listen to this, go to iTunes, subscribe, like, give us a little review. Help your boys out. Tickle thank our, you. Tickle our balls. Do something. Doggy. Words to the wise. Man, peace out, everybody. You know, uh, love, happiness, respect. That's all I got to say. Wake up, doggy. Yeah, I'm up. Words to live by. Take care of yourself. Take care of your kids. Take care of your family. It's been great. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.